That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I want to do a little exercise. Can, can I do a little exercise? I'm not talking about, like, the elliptical machine exercise. I'm not talking about, you know, you and I doing a uh, half marathon exercise. I'm talking about a little experiment, okay? That kind of exercise. Take example, uh, Exhibit A, okay? Exhibit A, U.S. District Court has granted a 14-day temporary restraining order that prohibits the NCAA from enforcing transfer waiver rules. Okay? Exhibit A. Exhibit B. An attorney named Mitt Winter is talking about the NCAA trying to enforce the rules against athletes and the fact that they're going to get sued if they do that. That's Exhibit B. Exhibit C, the Division I Board of Directors, during a video conference last week, reviewed the agenda for the uh, NCAA convention meeting that's scheduled for January 10th, and uh, here's the agenda items. Uh, Transgender student-athlete participation policy, mental health best practices, NIL interpretations. I'm just kind of wondering, as I point out all of these things that are kind of top of mind in sports, temporary restraining order, PAC-2's lawsuit against the 10 departing schools, uh, the agenda items for the board of directors for the NCAA, got the district court giving a TRO for the transfer waiver thing. Can, Can we get back to sports at some point? Do you think we'll ever get back to talking about the games, the athletes, the teams? Or are we forever going to be mired in U.S. District Court, Washington Supreme Court, uh, attorney from Ken Hertz Perry, uh, NCAA, uh, uh, the, the attorney general in the state of Ohio uh, weighing in, uh, board of directors, um, how about the attorney general in Florida? calling the college football playoff on the carpet, saying that they're going to investigate Florida State being left out of the playoff. Um, You know, I just, I'm left as I am trying to get to the sports a little bit exhausted by the attorneys and the lawsuits and the restraining orders and the allegations and uh, House versus the NCAA and uh, Transfer Portal Palooza. And am I alone in wondering at, at some point, are we going to get back to the sports? What has happened to our sports world? And I know what's happened. Money is 
is rampant and players are trying to wrest control of the NCAA and and uh, you know a lot of former athletes who played in the NCAA are part of the class action lawsuit that trying to sue the NCAA saying hey you shouldn't in the way of us being able to benefit and being able to participate in NIL opportunities hell I'm wondering uh, I go back like uh, you know I technically was uh, part of the NCAA in 1994, 1995, playing some college baseball. Maybe I have some NIL money coming my way from the from the Division Two ranks. I don't know. I'm just tired of it. I'm a little weary of it. I don't want to stand in the way of athletes. I always used to be able to separate the nonsense and the business of sports from the actual games, and it's becoming more difficult, isn't it? Like... You know, we talked yesterday about Shohei Otani's contract, $700 million. And then subsequently, what are the stories that came out yesterday and today? It's all about how his, even though the income's deferred, um, you know, how will the uh, respective states and the federal government taxes, taxes paychecks or his, or his uh, deferred income? Will it count? Uh, is the state of California going to be able to say, hey, we want to collect tax on that deferred income, or or will Florida get it? Because Shohei will just buy a house in Florida, and when he turns 40 and starts getting the bulk of the $700 million, will there be state income tax on it or not? Please discuss this. Like, no, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about what he's going to do in the games. I want to talk about the bowl games. I can't even get to the bowl games through the nonsense. The Pac-12's got all these bowl games, and a couple of them are really good. Like, I actually think, like, Oregon's... Matchup in the Fiesta Bowl against Liberty is, like, really compelling and interesting, but not for the normal reasons. Like, the normal reasons that bowl games are good is that you get this mismatch of classes, this hodgepodge you'd never see anywhere else. You get teams like Boise State playing in the L.A. Bowl against UCLA. Man, that's interesting to me. That's kind of fascinating. Like, Boise State 2-0 and against... Uh, UCLA and bowl games, got a coach that took over at Boise State that's been pretty good down the stretch. You got UCLA playing shorthanded, got some coaches that are leaving, you got some players who have opted out. Like, that's kind of interesting to me. It's kind of like, you know, a crocodile and a grizzly bear get into an elevator, who comes out? Like, you know, that's interesting to me. I love talking about bowl games like that. And, And we can't even get to them because we're... On a daily basis, mired down by the lawsuits, the litigation, the allegations, the suspensions, all of the stuff that has nothing to do with sports at all. So today, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of football, basketball, baseball, you know, the stuff that you come to sports for. And we're going to try to focus on that stuff today. Is that okay with everybody? Can I get a, can I get an amen? Like, literally, that's the stuff I want to get to. So I'm going to start by talking about the bowl games with uh, Steven. Steven, we got these bowl games. And first of all, let's start with that one. Let's start with UCLA and Boise State in the L.A. Bowl. Like, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I actually think that that Boise State's going to win that game because I just think, you know, we always talk about who wants to be there. And in this case, I think it has to do with a lot of, like, who's better equipped to be there, even though UCLA's favored by four points. Didn't like the way the Bruins finished the season against Cal. Don't like the fact that they have some star players who have opted out. 
Boise State won four straight to finish. And they've got Spencer Danielson at coach. He's the permanent coach now. He's been promoted. Um, you know, Mountain West 2-0 and against the Pac-12 in the L.A. Bowl. Boise State's winning that game. I tend to agree with you. The one thing that I would worry about, though, John, uh, you know, I haven't paid attention to this transfer portal, and it is wild. It's fi- it's hard to find the information really out there. But Boise State will be out without their quarterback, Taylor Green. He, he's entered the portal. He's heading over to Arkansas. So I agree with you about the new head coach. Like, Danielson's come in, and he is really – you know, re rejuvenated that entire program. It was really down with Andy Avalos. And now yeah. uh, with Danielson in there, not only are the new recruits coming in and they're playing harder, you can see all the videos they're putting out. They're playing hard. And UCLA's offense has just been terrible all season long. And, of course, we know Dante Moore's in the portal. So I agree with you. I think Boise wins the game. It will be interesting to see how Boise, how good Boise's offense is. I guess the UCLA defense was just really good when they have a third-string quarterback in there. But – uh, it's a very intriguing game. Uh, you, you know, you look at UCLA. I like Boise. How? How? Because it makes me just think, like, how is UCLA going to compete next season in the Big Ten? And you know, if they they can't even compete against Boise State and teams like that already. Like, I, I think they're going to struggle next year. So I'm with you. I like Boise in this one. Uh, I think Pac-12 gets their first loss there. I saw both Cal and Texas Tech up close. They will play each other in the Independence Bowl. Uh, that one also coming up this weekend. Cal is getting two and a half points. Um, you know, Texas Tech will not have Tyler Shuck at quarterback. Cal will uh, will have their quarterback. And Fernando Mendoza, they've rallied around him uh, this year. But, uh, you know, I thought I like the momentum of Cal at the end of the year versus Texas Tech, which got beat 57-7 to in their final game. I'll take Cal. And so I think the Pac-12 will be 1-1 one and one after those two games. I want to take Texas Tech. I think uh, Pac-12 will be 0-2. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a really even matchup, but you, you talk about it. This should be a good game, and I think there's going to be a lot of players playing for Cal. I think Texas Tech, same type of thing. They they caught some momentum at the end of the year besides that loss to Texas. You know, Remember, they started out losing to Wyoming, losing to Oregon. They were 0-2. There were a lot of questions, some injuries between the quarterbacks. Tyler Shuck goes out. Um, I, I like Tech. I think, I think both teams actually show up for this game. I think that's really rare in the bowl season now that both teams are going to show up and play really hard with a lot of their players. I think Tech and uh, Cal is going to do that, but I think Texas Tech a little bit better than Cal, so I'll take the uh, Red Raiders. Game means, game means more to Cal, I think, but let's see. Las Vegas Bowl, Utah against Northwestern. Utah's lost four straight bowl games. The Utes are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, they have a whole bunch of players that have opted out. Nobody knows who's going to play. Northwestern's been better under their new coach, Dave Braun, who was permanently uh, promoted. He was Big Ten Coach of the Year, by the way, at Northwestern. I'm going to lean Utah in this game only because I think Utah will show up to try to punctuate what was kind of a disappointing back half of their season. And I like Kyle Whittingham. I like that team prepped for a bowl game, and Northwestern hasn't blown me away. I'm with you. I, I actually like Utah a lot in this game. I know that Utah's quarterback situation is just so crazy, and the offense is crazy, but, man, I trust Whittingham. And I know they lost the bowl game last four, like you said, but this Northwestern team is really not that good. You know, The Big Ten uh, East is just one of the worst divisions out there in, in major college football, so I, I think Utah just is going to be more talented, and they're going to get the win easy. USC, Louisville. That is the Holiday Bowl, December 27th. USC is getting seven and a half points. There'll be no Caleb Williams, that's why. But Louisville uh, Louisville lost the ACC title game to Florida State. Quarterback's Jack Plummer. People may remember him from Cal. Um, 
I'm going to pick reluctantly pick USC. I just kind of feel like there was a little bit of a reckoning, maybe a humbling that happened towards the end of the season with USC. And I'm just going to kind of bank on the idea. This is not my five-star pick. It's coming up. But I'm going to bank on the idea that USC shows up to play because losing this game would be further embarrassment for for Lincoln Riley and company. Give me Louisville this one, John. We've seen USC's defense go up against really bad offenses and give up a lot of points. Louisville just scored six points against Florida State. That offense, as you said, led by Jack Plummer, not great. I don't think USC can stop anything, even this year. <laughs> I mean, they got to get new players. They can get the new coaches in there. It's going to take them to the next season. So I'm gonna li- I like Louisville in this game. Uh, I think they win and they cover. Here's my, uh, here's my five-star pick. It's the Alamo Bowl. I feel good about this game. Arizona, Oklahoma, December 28th. Arizona's a three-point favorite. Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma's quarterback, he's already transferred to Oregon. He's gone. So they'll play Jackson Arnold at quarterback, Oklahoma will. Meanwhile, every once in a while you get a team where you know the bowl game means something to them. Arizona was really good this season. They were 10-2 and against the spread in the regular season, best in the country, played at a great year. But they know everybody's watching, and they're going to be at full strength. This one just lines up. It lines up for Arizona in so many ways. I think Arizona wins. I think they win by more than three. There's no Dylan Gabriel on the other side. I just it, it's got Arizona written all over it. Yeah, I've been hot on Arizona the last half of the season. I you know I, I said they were going to be winning out, and they did. Like they're a really good team. And you're right, this one means something to them because it was a question of can they even make a bowl game this year? And it was not only that, but they competed for the Pac-12 title to the very end. Like that's how good this team is. Yeah, I'm with you. Arizona uh, wins, and I think Lee over Oklahoma. Oh. Oregon State, Notre Dame, Sun Bowl, December 29th. Beavers are getting a six and a half. Irish will not have Sam Hartman. He's opted out. He uh, didn't want to go to El Paso. I used to cover Notre Dame as a beat reporter, and I can tell you when they went to the Gator Bowl, they were not happy. Players didn't want to be there. They're going to the Sun Bowl. I'm going to claw- crawl out on a limb here. Ben Gobernson at quarterback for Oregon State. The Oregon State players who will be on the field want to be in this game. Many cases will be auditioning for playing time for Coach Trent Bray or maybe somewhere else. I'm just kind of banking that Notre Dame doesn't want to be there. I'm going to take Oregon State in the six and a half because I think the Beavers do want to be there, at least the Beavers who are going to be playing in the game. I, I want to agree with you. I want to agree with you a lot, but I just, I just can't. I, I think Notre Dame is just going to have way more talent than Oregon State. I mean, not having the quarterback going with Gil Branson, but then not having Damian Martinez, I think that's going to hurt a lot as well. Like they still have some good running backs, some good you know, the offensive line is going to be good, but I don't know, man. I, I just think Notre Dame, Sam Hartman wasn't that great this season. I don't know how much of a downgrade it's really going to be to go to the back or quarterback. So give me Notre Dame. Um, I think that they win. I think it's going to be close, but I think Notre Dame wins and covers. It'll be you know seven to ten points win. Here's the second game that I feel really good about. It's the Fiesta Bowl. It's Oregon and Liberty, January 1, half-point favorite. Um, Liberty does not belong in this game. It should not be Liberty. It should be SMU. Oregon has got Bo Nix. I think it is kind of a farewell party for Bo Nix. We all saw in elementary school those holiday parties that would happen on that Friday right before you go off to Christmas break or spring break or the end of the school year. This one's got that feel to me. And Liberty is a patsy, and I think Oregon is going to lay it on Liberty. I don't think it's eighty-one to seven, but I think it's going to be like uh, 
55 to 7, 55 to 3. Oregon is going to blast Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. I agree with you. The fact that Bo Nix says he wants to play in this game, you know, he's played for so long in college football. It's going to be his final game. I think he has he's going to want something to say. I think to watch out for. I I've heard this in a couple different podcasts. The Quakers this season over at Liberty, there are rumors that he may enter the transfer portal. Now, it's not official. He hasn't done that yet, but it's something to look out for. If he does actually enter the portal, John, uh, this point spread is going to go way high into the 20s. So uh, I'm with you. I think Oregon wins and kind of dominates this game. There's no amount of points that you you could throw out there that I wouldn't take Oregon. I just I think it's going to be 40, could be a 40-point win. For the Ducks. Do you think the whole, uh, even with all the holdouts that Oregon's going to have with Troy yeah, Franklin I, and uh, yeah, Jackson Oregon Powell. seconds, thirds, fourths, their incoming recruits are better than Liberty. I mean, it's <laughs> this Liberty team fans. How about some Oregon fans? Can we roll some fans out there? You know, if, if you're going to the game, can you, can you uh, throw on some shoulder pads? No, I'm just can look you Liberty need a snap out there. Liberty's thirteen and zero. Okay, much respect for Liberty for going thirteen and zero. But their schedule was number 133 in the country when it comes to strength of schedule. They played no power fives. Oregon's not Western Kentucky. Oregon's not New Mexico State. This is um, this is a mismatch. And it's a mismatch in which I kind of think Oregon's going to be pissed that, that the committee, the playoff committee, stuck Liberty in this game. And I, I expect the Ducks to make the committee look stupid. I agree with you. And it's one of those things where it's a good thing to have Dan Laney as your coach for this one. Like, that's a guy that's going to be motivated and going to get guys motivated who are actually playing in the game. We know that he's going to do that. So I'm with you, man. Oregon, Oregon big. Sugar Bowl, Washington, Texas, January 1 on ESPN. Washington's getting four. Um, All the talk I've heard to this point has been about Texas and how many – you know, their edge rushers and, the you know, the fact that they've got playmakers and, man, look at their defensive tackles and all this stuff. Nobody's talking about the fact that Washington is undefeated and has Michael Penix Jr. walking around with a chip on his shoulder now that he didn't get the Heisman Trophy. Like, Penix Jr. is going to make plays in this game. I like the Huskies. They win. They cover because they're getting four. And I think they advance to the national championship game. I like Washington. The trend is your friend. 100% with you on this one. And I think the thing that we're not even really talking about with Washington is they're going to get healthy. You know, Michael Penix, for whatever it was, what you know, sickness, injury, whatever it is, he, he's going to have a full month to get ready. Roma Dunze, he confirmed today to Mike Varell that he broke a rib and punctured a lung against Arizona, uh, recovering an onside kick. Didn't miss a game. Played against Oregon. Had eight catches, 128 yards, two touchdowns with a punctured lung and a broken rib. So... A month is going to help all these guys heal for Washington. Of course, you know, McMillan's been in and out of the lineup for the offense. Like, I think Washington's going to get very healthy. And we saw how dangerous they were at the start of the year. Penix is slinging it around, throwing for 400 a game. I think this is going to be a real shootout. I think this could be you know, a game into the 40s for both teams. But I do like Washington to come out on top. You like the over on the 64-and-a-half? Oh, yeah. you're saying? I do, yeah. All right. Jim is in Portland. He's got a question on the NFL front for me. Jim, what's up, man? Yeah, <clears throat> Christian McCaffrey, San Francisco. He's having a heck of a season, and there's something very compelling that's taking place down there. If he hangs on to this rushing title, and at this point he's he's leading by some 200 yards with four weeks to go. And if he does it, it'll be an accomplishment that hasn't been done since 1962. I'm just wondering if you have any idea of what that might be. Are you talking about uh, Larry Zonka? Uh, 
No. It'd be the first. I'm curious how the mainstream media will cover this. It'd be the first non-African-American to win the title since 62. I don't, I, you know what I think? I think no one's going to cover it. I mean, I think people will notice it. I think people will say, you know, um, oh, gosh, look, you know, Christian McCaffrey doesn't look like other rushing title, but I don't think it's going to be a big story. And I've heard, I, you know, I had a, I got a couple of emails from people saying, you know, I haven't seen a running back this good who's capable of, like, being a Super Bowl MVP since, like, Larry Zonka in the 70s. But I don't think it's a I don't think that's going to be a big story. I don't think it's going to be covered in that way. And especially I don't think it'll be covered in that way by by mainstream media. And I and I actually don't think it is a story. It's it's like, you know, are we going to do a story, you know, about a black quarterback? No. You know, are we going to do a story about a white running back? No. I just think I think it's something that people will notice. I don't think it'll get that talked about. Mike's in Portland. Mike, go ahead. What's on your mind? Well, John, I'm going to have to disagree with you about the Fiesta Bowl. I think that um, Liberty is, is going to beat the Ducks. Oh, Say, man, when they put the Ducks in the Fiesta Bowl, that's like putting them in the back of the bus, man, because don't nobody respect them anymore. They were overrated all year, and this is where they need to be. Also, when you talk about we don't need to talk about the legal stuff with college football, I think Ty Thompson have a good legal case because I think he has he was discriminated against. This guy been down there three years. He's vested in that program. They bring some Dylan uh, Gabriel has no nothing to do with Oregon. He has nothing invested in that program. He got a start and roll. I think if anybody has a case. For a lawsuit, it's Ty Thompson. Talk to you later. Yeah, I don't. I think Ty is an interesting story. I don't think he has a case for a lawsuit. Um, I and I venture to say, if you really do think Liberty's going to win that game, you should go bet on that and just don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Okay, bet your Colorado winnings. There you go. Uh, Jeff Schwartz is coming up. Sirius XM, eight years in the NFL. We're going to talk about the NFL with Schwartz. What is going on with the Chiefs? How does he see the Oregon football program? He's a former Duck. We'll talk to Jeff Schwartz, uh, who has played the game at a high level and now talks about it on Sirius XM. He's next. I think Oregon is going to obliterate Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. Mike called in in the last segment. He said he thought Liberty would win the damn game. Well, I don't know. Jeff Schwartz. Former Oregon Duck, Sirius XM, you can hear him there. Eight seasons in the NFL joining us now. What is Oregon going to do to Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, Schwartz? Well, I mean, if they play their best game, it's not going to be very close. Um, I just, you know, Bo Nick's playing, I think, almost guarantees that they're going to play well or are going to play their best game possible. You know, if it had been Ty Thompson or – Nova Setters, I guess someone else, um, maybe, you know, it signals that, you know, hey, you know, we're not, you know, this is a glorified scrimmage, not really a bowl game we're trying to win. But Bo Nick's playing certainly makes it feel like it matters a lot more. Um, but, look, without 
DPJ, they're without, uh, you know, I think Dorliff announced, and they're without Jackson, and they're without uh, Bucky. But here's the thing, John, is like your backups would probably start at Liberty too. You know, it's like you, this is a time for all the depth that you have, all the recruiting to show um, they're 18 and a half points. I think they're the biggest favorite in all of bowl season right now. Um, it kind of shows you what Oregon can do. Uh, we saw last year, you know, a crippling loss to Oregon State to end the season, came back and played well against North Carolina in the bowl game. And I feel like, you know, the, the Oregon not being ready to play has not really been a thing for Dan Lanning or two, in two years now. So I think they'll, they'll play hard. And if they play hard and want to be there and want to win, um, they'll win the game. Look, the, the loser of the Pac-12 championship game has lost every bowl game they played in. Um, so they would certainly be breaking a trend here if they were able to win this game. It would be a bad loss. Liberty should not be on the field with Oregon. I want to think back to your college career. I'm going to remember that there was a Fiesta Bowl. I think there was a Vegas Bowl, as I remember. And then there was, I think, a Sun Bowl in your last year. Do I have that right? It was it was Holiday Bowl, yeah. uh, Vegas Bowl, Sun Bowl. Okay. Give us an idea, because a lot of people, a lot of people listening have never played in a bowl game, haven't been around players that play in a bowl game. You know, what is that like? How do you know if a team wants to be there? What does that come down in your mind to? If it's not a playoff game, it's a bowl game, what does it come down to? Well, I think it's different now, obviously. Um, But, you know, when when we were playing, so the Holiday Bowl, we were 10-2. and We um, do 10-1. and We've only lost USC that year. Playing Oklahoma, and uh, you know, Kellen Clemens was hurt, but you, it's Oklahoma, you know, it's in San Diego. Like it, the Holiday Bowl to me has always felt like the start of bowl season, sort of the like official start of bowl season. So that's a game that you know you wanted to be in, right? You're ten and one, uh, yeah, you, you didn't win the Pac-12, oh well, but you're playing Oklahoma, and, and you want to get after it. The, the Vegas Bowl very famously did not go very well for us against BYU, and that's a game where you know the motivation for that. For a lot of guys, just wasn't there. It was a bad team that year, bad sort of leadership. And, uh, you know, the Vegas Bowl was used as a party more than it was, you know, as a celebration. And, and we weren't very good. We started playing 5-0 and and ended up 7-5. and um, and, and BYU was – that game has always been tough for the Pac-12 because it's always like the sixth the six best Pac-12 team and the number one Mountain West team. Yeah. And Mountain West always wants to win that game, obviously. And the following year in the Sun Bowl, because of what happened – the year before in the Vegas Bowl, man, a lot of us just said, you know what, we're going to focus in. We're not going to party in El Paso. We're going to go to bed. We're going to sleep. We're going to rest. We're, you know, we'll enjoy ourselves. And um, we had, obviously, Justin Roper playing as a fifth-string quarterback, and we, we kicked uh, South Florida's butt that day. I, I just remember in any of those years, though, the bowl game was fun, man. Like, school's out, so it's just you and, the, and your teammates again. It's almost like training camp. This is it's a month of bonding, right? You're with your teammates. All you're doing is football. Um, you know, the, the bowl season comes with swag and gifts and a little extra spending money that you get during bowl season. So it was always very fun, even though the Vegas Bowl didn't end up being what we wanted it to be. I always enjoyed uh, enjoyed the bowl game. But now these guys are making so much NIL money and, and whatnot, which is great. I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. But I don't know if they feel the same way about these bowl games. Uh, and I don't blame players for opting out and, for choosing their NFL career over the bowl game. But, you know, there was a lot of – it was a lot of fun, man. I, I enjoyed going to the bowl game. I enjoyed getting a week uh, vacation and a week, you know, a week to go play somewhere else, play a different team you might not play 
ever. You know, we played BYU and Oklahoma, which we ended up actually playing three years in a row, and uh, South Florida, which I don't think Oregon has played since. So it was uh, – I enjoyed it, man. I, but I get now – I get it's more business-like now, and I understand why players don't want to play in them. You had Chip Kelly as a first-year offensive coordinator for that Sun Bowl that last year. Did Yes. What did you what you know? What were your impressions of Chip as a coordinator who came through the door that season? So I remember this very vividly. Um, I was I had surgery on, on my back after the '06 season. It was early January of '07. I had surgery, and we used to do one team morning workout a week. It was Friday mornings. Radcliffe would get us all out there six thirty in the morning, and I wasn't doing that. I was hurt, but I was there. Right, I had to be there. Remember when Chip was there for his interview uh, early February, and uh, he was—I was just talking to him because I was on the sideline. He was explaining his offense to me, and I was like, "This is not going to work in college football." Like in major, I was like, "This <laughs> this guy's crazy." We're going fast. We're going like we're just, and I was like, "This ain't going to work." And I, and I actually don't even remember like in the moment that it was Chip Kelly. Like I remember when we hired him, I was like, "Oh." I had a conversation with that guy, and I told him his offense stunk. <laughs> his idea was very good. <laughs> so, um, then, then about like the third day of training camp that year, we were all. I remember in the offensive line room one day, and Great Wood made a comment like, "Boys, if you guys can just block, like this is a heck of an offense." And it felt that way from the beginning. And the one thing that I liked about playing with Chip was, you know, I don't know if I've ever played on a a more confident offense. Certainly not in college football. There were NFL offenses I felt pretty good about, but it was just we had this confidence. Uh, we were going to kick everyone's butt each week. You know, like it didn't matter what was put in front of us, who was playing defense. And we played USC that year, and they were, you know, everyone was in the Falfet defense, and we, we scored on them. And even, you know, we played South Florida in that bowl game. We were with our fifth string quarterback, and we put up, uh, I think it was 42 offensive points, and we scored twice on defense. That's how we got to 56. And that's, that's hard to do to score six offensive touchdowns with, with an official quarterback. We just were so confident that year because um, Chip put us in a, in a really good position to, to have success each and every play. So, um, as you remember, again, like, thinking myself, like, this, this guy's nuts. And then uh, <laughs> ended up being uh, obviously very successful. And I think for his part, like, the, the second or third day he was there was the Camp Harlow day, too. So I wonder if he had some, some questions about coming to Oregon, just like I had questions about him. Jeff Schwartz is with us, uh, former offensive lineman in the NFL and host on Sirius XM. Shorts, you saw the Pac-12 championship game. What what was going on with Oregon, especially early on in that game in your in your eyes? Yeah. Yeah, I read what, what you said. I think we had you on our, our show, too, about the energy before the game. And um, I got a word from a couple of people that were there that said that, you know, that it just – Oregon's energy did not – feel right to start the game and players have kind of commented on that. And I don't know the reason why it wasn't there, obviously, but um, you know, maybe there was some tightness about the, you know, the game for a lot of those players. It was the first time it was for the coaching staff too. It was the first time in the situation. I mean, Caitlin DeBoer has played to be coached in, you know, NAIA change. Like that, that, that matters, right? He's talked about the experience of having those opportunities at a lower level and what it means to be, to prepare at a higher level. Maybe there just was a little bit of, of tightness for the team. But look, I mean, I think this is sort of goes unnoticed and that's part of what happens when you lose is they came back, John, they were 24, 20, like it's for as bad as they played to start the game. And it wasn't great. They were winning the fourth quarter again for the third straight time against Washington and just didn't, and didn't didn't finish the game. But you know, that gets lost obviously in the end result and and the victors, you know, go to the spoils. I, I get that. But 
yeah, they just didn't start fast, man. But I give them credit. I, look, I was sitting at home. I was like, oh, boy, we're going to get smoked. And then slowly but surely, right, the, the, the double-up opportunity in the first half, and all of a sudden now it's, you know, it's uh, 24-20. It was, a, you know, it was an odd game for Oregon. They didn't play that way. You know, look, two plays, right? The first play of the game, the ball hits the umpire. You're like, oh, that's not normal. And then the Knicks interception, I mean, the guy was standing out of bounds. Like, Knicks didn't even see him. Like, how many times do you see that happen? Like, never? Yeah. Where the quarterback throws the ball on a defender who's on the side. I think it's not illegal what happened. But the guy was literally on the sidelines when he threw the pass. He thought he was just a guy on the sidelines. Like, just, it, just didn't, it just didn't happen for us. And, of course, Washington won the line of scrimmage and some other things that, they, you know, obviously they did really well. But just it just was weird. It was a weird film to watch. Um, guys that plays to be made weren't made. Um, and in the end, you know, that's what Washington does best, right? They win these close games by making the plays other teams do not make in, you know, in the fourth quarter. And you got to give them credit for that. I always say that I think teams and players need to sniff around success before they get it, and it kind of had that feel to it. I think you're right about all the games that Kalen DeBoer had coached, and I was on the field before the game, and I and I it I commented to people around me. I said, Oregon looks like it's all business, and I'm now kicking myself because what I was really seeing was a team that was very quiet, was quietly warming up, quietly focused nobody was talking like normally you get a lot of chatter you get a couple of guys that are kind of you know thumping their chest and that was going on on the other side but sometimes that you know it equates in a slow start sometimes it doesn't just feel like maybe it was washington's year do you like washington against texas or do you think the season ends for the huskies in the sugar bowl i do they uh it's just a bad matchup for texas um you know, what, what they do well is up front on the defensive line and what the Washington do well, they have a good offensive line, right? And, um, you know, you, you got to be able to hit Penix and get him off his spot and get him, you know, doing something he doesn't want to do. And I feel like Texas just with their secondary and the pass rush, it's going to be tough. Look, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, Washington's defense plays better than, than their numbers all season. It's just they have. Um, can Texas exploit the issues that Washington has in their defense? And if they can, then this game, I think, becomes really close and it becomes, you know, sort of like last possession type of game. But Washington has shown that they just win these games. And, look, I I keep saying that it's hard to win one-score games and eventually that just ends because that's the law of averages. But Washington keeps proving me wrong. I mean, they've won now, I think, 11 games by eight points or less in their 22-game win streak or 20-game win streak. They've won, obviously, nine in a row by 10 points or less. Like, they keep doing it. I just think the matchup is not great for them, uh, for Texas. So I think Washington wins. I think they lose to Alabama in the title game, but I think they do beat Texas. I want to pivot to the NFL. You've got a lot of experience there. Eight seasons in the NFL as an offensive lineman. Your brother in the NFL as an offensive lineman. You watch the game. Um, right now the 49ers seem to be clicking. They had a little stretch earlier in the year where they had some uh, hiccups. I'm a big Niner fan. Um, Brock Purdy alternately gets talked about like an MVP and then dissed saying, oh, he's got so much around him. Uh, what do you make of the Niners to this point of the season, Jeff? I mean, they're obviously really good. At it. You know, it's very clear that they're a team that when they're whole, they're the best in the NFL. I think that the concern with the Niners just for the rest of the season is, excuse me, it kind of showed that, you know, one or two players out on offense, and the offense is much different. We saw that this season with a couple injuries. And so you just, I think you just have to hope that everyone stays healthy for the rest of the season. The Brock Purdy thing, look, John, 
every quarterback is sort of a system quarterback in, in the end, right? And and Brock Purdy, though, is still playing outstanding. Like, you have to give him his credit. Look, do I think that if you were drafting quarterbacks, he would go in the top five or seven or eight? No. But all he's doing is executing the offense at a very high level. And you should be commended for that. And, and look, I don't – I think people are trying to find reasons not give him the MVP. It might end up just being his year because – you know, Mahomes and Allen and Rodgers and some of the guys that are always up there at the top aren't playing as well this season. And, you know, Tua, I mean, Tua and, and Tyreek Hill are probably done after Monday Night Football. So, Lions are good, man. I mean, like, they're going to have presumably, you know, two home games in the playoffs. Um, Eagles and probably someone else. I don't know, Cowboys maybe. I mean, they, they should be the favorites. Um they do the things that, that help you win football games. They don't turn the ball over. They rush the passer well. They run block well. So they're good. They're really good. They have to just avoid injury. That's about it. You know, any sort of injury in offense is going to be a problem for them because it feels like we saw that stretch you know, where they lost three games without a healthy offense, and they were just totally different without all those guys. Give me an idea. You know, the Patrick Mahomes thing, he obviously has since come out and said, hey, it was a bad look for me to be whining and complaining after the game. But – I got to know what you thought of that as a guy who's played in the league. Uh, yeah. Receiver lines up offsides and gets called. And, you know, did that surprise you, that whole fiasco? Well, John, I, I think, and I said this on social media and my podcast, I think this was Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid just being angry and using the officials <laughs> to voice their displeasure because <laughs> the season's not going, obviously, how it's going. And, Mahomes and Andy Reid are not going to cuss out Tony. Like it's, it's just not their personality. And plus, like they need to there is Tony. Like they, he, when he gets the ball, he's really good. Like they need him to be part of their offense. And so, I think they just instead of throwing him under the bus, they threw the rest under the bus. You know, it, that to me feels like exactly what happened here. Um, you know, look, do, do they get a warning beforehand? You typically do, but Terry Tony was very offside. I get why they threw the you know threw that. In a situation, um, and so to me, it's just it was just anger. They had to. Patrick Mahomes wanted to yell at somebody. It wasn't going to be his head coach, wasn't going to be Tony, and the offensive line was going to be the referees. That's what it felt like to me. That they just had to let it let loose, and the easiest target were the officials. And it happened. They, obviously, he apologized, especially to Josh Allen. That was a sort of weird post game, like complaining that 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 just beat you. Um, and that's that's nothing more than it was just to anger and they just use the officials to voice their displeasure on what's happening this season jeff schwartz with us eight seasons in the nfl you can hear him on sirius xm uh jeff but before uh we part ways here i just want to say you do a hell of a job on your show on social media you're a great follow for people who aren't following schwartz on twitter get there he does a lot of analysis a lot of insight and you really get some Intel that you don't get from people who haven't played the game. I, you're a great follow, Jeff. Keep keep doing it, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoy doing it. I mean, it's fun. It's informative. I just I want to try to help people be smarter about football. You know, and that's because uh, it makes us it makes it more fun to watch when, when you know what you're you're watching. So that's uh, that's my goal with my social media. There he goes, Jeff Schwartz. A happy holidays to him. Our big splash coming up. Leave it here. Good stuff with the Schwartz. Jeff Schwartz joined us earlier. If you missed it, grab the podcast. Nick Daschle covers Oregon State. He'll be with us coming up at 424. Make an appointment, 424. 
Uh, one of my kids, uh, my oldest daughter, had a volleyball coach, Chijo. He's a fantastic coach, great coach. One of the things that he did with the kids is when he told them what time they had to meet. You know, Stephen, you do this. You're like, your kids are playing sports. What did the coach say? Eh, 4.30 is, you know, practice is at 4.30. Or we're meeting, you know, at the uh, at the gym at uh, at 4.30. Uh, and then your kid will go, I, you know, you'll say, what time are you meeting? And your kid will go, I don't know, it was 4 or 3.30, 4, 4.30. I, I can't remember. Um, the volleyball coach used to give a time. He'd say, uh, we're going to meet at 3.11. You don't forget that. It sticks in your head. It's a non, um, non uh, I guess, common you know, number. And uh, people remember it. It sticks in your head. Well, 424, Dashel, bank it, make an appointment. He'll be here. Mark in Portland calling in. Been holding for a bit. Mark, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? I just, uh, Mike, of course, uh, I, he, he is such a clown. His last phone call to you, John, he talked about uh, Colorado. If Oregon played their schedule, they would have had the same record. Well, Oregon played seven common opponents. Here's some of the teams that Colorado lost to and what the scores were. Stanford, 42-6. to Utah, 35-6. to California, 63-19. to Washington State, a team Colorado lost to 56-14. to Oregon beat by two touchdowns. Oregon played the Huskies twice. Colorado didn't have to play them. So they, they didn't have to play the number two team in the country. Oregon dominated everybody this year that they played. They've dominated the Pac-12, Pac-10 since 1994. They've won nine conference championships. They've finished first or second 15 times. That's 50% of the time they're one or two. So when he told us we were unintelligent, we didn't know what we were talking about. He's the clueless one. Roy, I'm going to listen to Roy, even though he doesn't like Oregon. And, and sometimes I get upset with him. He, he comes with articulate intelligent posts and and or uh, phone calls and and you know he's he when he tells us that we can't beat the huskies we, we have to listen to him but he has credibility because he acknowledges that oregon's a top 20 team year in and year out mike's just a clown every time he's on your show i see a clown face there you <laughs> that's go. what i see I'm, I'm gonna i just let you go there mark in portland happy holidays there he goes um Look, I, you know, some people have asked me, uh, you know, why do you let certain caller call in? And it's not always the same person, by the way. It'll be like Mike or Mark or Roy or, you know, Dre or you know, all these different callers. People go, why do you let so-and-so call in? And because the callers, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, speak for a segment of the audience. And sometimes, every once in a while, uh, a caller who may be out in left field will offer something that the rest of us will go, eh, you know, that's that's not a bad thought. Um, I'm not going to let like a nonsensical caller go on and on and on and dominate the show and hijack the show. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think there's a time and a place. And sometimes if a caller is absurd, I'll let a caller go, even though, you know, they are absurd. This brings us to our big splash. It is the one thing you absolutely need to know. This is the big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Amit Patel, the former Jacksonville Jaguars employee who was accused of defrauding the franchise of $22 million, 
Turns out he was a high-volume, high-stakes daily fantasy sports player known for racking up big losses. Federal authorities have charged the 31-year-old Patel with manipulating the Jaguars' virtual credit card program and using the proceeds to fund his lifestyle for four years. Jaguars terminated him, uh, but the investigators say Patel was playing daily fantasy sports on FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, I find it interesting that neither FanDuel nor DraftKings turned the guy in. But apparently, um, he put nearly $500,000 into fantasy tournaments on the NFL, Major League Baseball, PGA Tour, and UFC, often entering dozens of lineups with large prize pools. But uh, his biggest losses came in uh, three-man contests that he regularly entered. Contests uh, had buy-ins that were $24,000. Or more. Um, I find it interesting that the gaming companies weren't like, hey, we we think there's a problem here. Somebody's betting a lot of money. Um, Nope. It took uh, the Jaguars having to find out they're $22 short. But uh, there you go. Uh, Joey in Millersburg. Joey, can you you make it quick, or do you want to hold on the other side of the break? No, dude, I'll make it real quick. Thanks, John, by the way. Yeah, for everybody who's barking about Oregon playing Liberty, you just got to remember that Liberty is undefeated. They won their Conference USA tournament against Mexico State. New Mexico State beat Auburn. Auburn almost beat Alabama. They should have beat Alabama, and Alabama's in the, in the college football playoff. So I just feel like people need to remember that Liberty – is no slouch. Sure. I think last I looked at the 16 and a half point spread. It's 18 and a half now. 18. The money's coming in on Oregon. There you go. That's all good. All right. Thanks, Joey. Leave it here. I'm still thinking about that Jaguars employee. Okay. Think about it. Think about it. Like it doesn't make any sense. He, he stole $22 million from the NFL team. He didn't just, disappear and go sit on an island somewhere didn't go oceans 11 you know you didn't go shawshank you didn't go to ziwa Tanejo. instead the guy apparently and allegedly went and played fantasy football with the money definition of problem don't you think like DraftKings and FanDuel at some point when they saw major losses that that should have raised a flag from an NFL employee, team employee, betting a lot of money on fantasy football. No, they were just happy to take the money. You got it. You know that, Stephen. Yeah, they got. They get their ten percent. They get their cut of all, you know the the, uh, the buy-in. So yeah, they don't yeah. care. They don't care. They were like, you know what? Guy must have uh, sold his house <laughs> and playing responsibly. Uh, well, let's play some punch and audio. I have a lot to get to here. Bill Belichick, Adam Schefter, Charles Barkley, Draymond Green, punching Yusuf Nurkic. Did you see that? That little windmill oh, move? It was violent, man. It was a, it was a real punch. Draymond uh, going to be more of a problem or less of a problem as he ages out of the NBA? Mm, more. More because his play on the court doesn't back up anything he does, like the, the, the antics. Yeah. I kind of think it's about, it's almost time. 
He's a, he's a smart player when he's playing smart. He's a liability a lot of the other times. So I think uh, if you are a uh, if you are a uh, diehard Warriors fan, you got to look at Draymond Green. But Gilbert Arenas is defending him. Is it possible? Like, can you know? Like, I just want to do this outside. Can I do this outside of Punch It for just yeah, a second? Go for it. Okay, so first of all, you got, you know, Draymond Green, basically, as Yusuf Nurkic is trying to defend him, spinning at a 360-degree angle and, like, kind of using a UFC MMA move, using the back of his hand to smack Yusuf Nurkic across the face. Um, Yusuf Nurkic... Not happy about it, had this to say. What's going on with him? I don't know. Personally, I feel like that brother needed help. You know, I'm glad he not tried to choke me, but at the same time, it had nothing to do with basketball, man. Like, I'm just out there trying to play basketball, you know, they're swinging. I think we saw that often, but um, hope he, you know, whatever he got in his life, get better. Yeah, I hope whatever's going on in his life gets better. Draymond Green, meanwhile, kind of apologizes. Uh, he was pulling my hip, and I was swinging away to sell the car, made contact with him. Um, as you know, I'm not one to apologize for things I meant to do, but I do apologize to you, sir, um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Uh, I sell cars with my arms. I don't fall or to sell a car. I don't. Not a flopper. So I was just selling the car because he was grabbing me and pulling my hip back. So I spun away, and unfortunately, I hit him. And so, like I said, I apologize to you, Seth, um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Have you seen the replay? Yeah. How did it look to you on the replay? I mean, as I've said before, any replay, you know, if I go look at every replay of everything, um, a replay is that. It's never going to look good, you know, but like I said, I know my intentions. My intentions were to sell the call. Um, and you know, I also don't think I'm an accurate enough puncher to do a full 360 and, and, and connect with someone. Um, so it's unfortunate. There he is. Meanwhile, Charles Barkley says I, the Warriors need to send a message. I think the Golden State Warriors, you know, because Adam – Adam, Adam doing doing something really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But when your boss says, "Hey, you know what? It's time for us to sit you down," because you know you just lose money when the league suspends you. I think you need to be embarrassed when your boss says, "Hey, you know what? You're hurting the team. I'm gonna do something to you." So I think it's up to the Golden State Warriors to, "Hey, you know what, Draymond? You've been great for this organization. Been great for the team, but you're not worth." The effort, you know, we tired of dealing with this BS. So I think the Warriors need to step in and say, hey, even even before Adam does anything today, because he's going to get suspended. If the Warriors came out and said, hey, can we handle this situation? I think that would be the right thing to do, Dan, personally. Meanwhile, Gilbert Arenas defending Draymond Green. Hey, man, listen. <laughs> I know what Dre doing. He's taking care of these Euros one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, Dre? I can't drink. 
Right, they, they, the, they, the media is trying to push these euros on us, baby. <laughs> and you choking and slapping them back. I get it, baby. Do your thing. Well, he only did it to two. Yeah, he got, he got about six, seven more. There's Gilbert Arenas. Um, I keep thinking that Draymond Green is going to come to his senses. But years ago on this show, we had, you know, Darius Miles had started the season by going to Blazers training camp and declaring that he had matured in the offseason. He got married. He showed up. He said he turned over a leaf, new leaf. And I can remember we brought a psychologist onto the show, and I remember it was Dr. Uh, Dr. Jan Lysenby brought her onto the show. We talked to her about human behavior, and she said, John, the most accurate predictor of human behavior is past behavior. This is who Draymond Green is. He's a really high IQ basketball player who, when he's frustrated, is a problem and a detriment to his team. He's not the player that he once was, and I agree with Stephen, as he ages and loses a step, loses some strength, starts to play against more athletic, better players, longer player in the case of Yusuf Nurkic. It's very frustrating for him. And he was trying to get Nurk off of his hip. And I don't believe him when he says that he just spun and he was selling the call. Looks suspiciously like Draymond Green was trying to give Yusuf Nurkic a code red and be like, hey, if you're going to defend me and put your hands on me, you're going to get hands back. Now, do I think he intended to get ejected? And end up in this situation that he has ended up in how many times? I don't. I can't even count them anymore. Whether it's punching Jordan Poole or trying to kick somebody in the nuts. Um, you know, this is who Draymond Green is. And and uh, at his best, he's a, he's a great player and he can be part of a winning team. And at his worst, he is a terrible distraction and not a good person. 503-417-7575. What should the NBA do to Draymond Green? Was that one, of the, was yeah, that one of the worst apologies you've ever heard? It's terrible. It was really bad. It's a non-apology. You know, I'm sorry, but anybody who knows me, like, let's just break it down. He was pulling my hip and I was swinging away to sell the car. Okay, so his initial thing isn't, hey, I'm sorry, I punched the guy in the face. I hope he's okay. No, he was pulling my hip. It was he was fouling me. Made contact with him. Um, as you know, I'm not one to apologize for things I meant to do, but I do apologize to you, sir. No, I'm I'm not going to apologize for things I meant to do. Which sometimes you can you can you I do think it's graceful sometimes to apologize if you meant to do something and you realize an error that like hey I was having a bad moment. Well, he didn't you apologize know, I'm, when he I'm uh, choked out Rudy Gobert, so he meant yeah. to he meant to choke him out. Yeah, uh, he goes on um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Uh, I sell calls with my arms. I don't fall or to sell a call. I don't I'm not a flopper. So I was just selling the call because he was grabbing me and pulling my hip back. So I no, oh, it's justified. It's just it's justified. He's pulling my hip back. He's grabbing me. I'm just selling the call. Just playing ball, John. Silly. I think it's ridiculous. If you're Draymond Green, you have to do better than that. 
He, he, I guess he did apologize in some respect in there somewhere, but not in a way that was meaningful or it matters. And the Warriors aren't great, are they? Like, let's be real about where the Warriors are, too. If the Warriors were viewed as a top two team in the West, a team that could win it all, and, and you know, if they were viewed as a, a true contender, instead of a team that's kind of riding out where they are, so a lot of questions about Steve Kerr's coaching, Clay Thompson's shooting, Draymond Green's temper and his whether his game still has a place in the NBA. And meanwhile, you got Steph Curry just like scoring seventeen a quarter, trying to keep them in it. Like if they were a team that was close, you could tolerate some of this. But I think the further that the Warriors get away from being a championship contender. The, the more ridiculous Draymond Green looks being part of their team. It's it's almost like you can have Dennis Rodman on the Bulls or the Spurs when they're contending, but you put him on a team that, you know, or the Pistons when they're contending, but you put him on, like, this year's Blazers team, and it's an absolute joke. And so I just, I kind of think, uh, I, I think the NBA is going to throw the book at Draymond Green on this one. Let's see what happens. Should be out any time now. Let's play some Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Adam Schefter reporting that the NFL is going to play a regular season game in Brazil next year punch it there's going to be a regular season game played next season in brazil this is an area that the nfl has scoped out looked at in recent months and the league believes that it wants to expand its product and one of the league's biggest priorities is growing the game internationally and to do that the league is going to play a regular season game in brazil next year they're looking at playing a regular season game in madrid the year after and they authorized today the idea that there could be up to eight international games played each year. And so this emphasis on expanding across the globe, across the world, you're going to continue to see this with the NFL, which played games last year in London, Germany, next year, London, Germany again, and Brazil, the year after maybe Madrid. So the league continues to try to grow because it knows how popular the sport is here in this country, and it's determined to try to spread the popularity of the sport across the globe. It's great for the NFL. I don't know how great this is for the teams, the players, the games. Some of these games that happen overseas or in Mexico are cool, and it's interesting to see kind of the reaction to the NFL in other countries. But I also... Look at the strain that it puts on the schedule, the teams, and some of the performances that we've seen this season, including the Patriots. And I, I'm i left kind of going, eh, this is underwhelming to me. Like, I don't know how frequently I want to see this. But it's going to be a party. It's going to expand the NFL to a new region of the world. And people in uh, Brazil and the surrounding area will... Uh, Obviously embrace it, but I don't know. I I liked it better when this felt like, oh, it's a once in a blue moon thing. And now it seems like it's happening multiple times, multiple teams. 
don't love it. How about you? Yeah, I, I I do like the fact that the games start earlier, so we get the one game real early in the morning. But I'm with you. I think it's going to be tough just as time goes on to keep putting them all over there. And it just is going to lead to, at some point, John, I think a team that's either overseas or you know in Brazil or in Mexico or something. Like, when do you do you think an NFL team will be outside the United States at some point? I don't think so, but I think what they're obviously trying to do is what the NBA has done with so much international exposure. They know by having this game in Brazil or having a game in London or Mexico City, they are roping in NFL fans. They're selling merchandise. They're also expanding the television footprint and trying to make football fans, American football fans, in a uh, in a country that traditionally has not embraced it. And so... That, to me, this is about television, and it's about money, and it's about merchandise and the brand of the league. I don't think you can put a team overseas with any kind of uh, regular schedule and ask them to, for the travel demands that it would require. I think it's asking too much. Bill Belichick, man of the hour, was asked by reporters if he expects to be back next season. Is Robert Kraft going to have you back? Here's Bill Belichick. 12 seconds. Punch it. Bill, I wanted to ask you a question. Speaking, obviously, for yourself and, and your understanding, do you have an understanding that Robert will not ask you to be back next year? Yeah, I'm getting ready for Kansas City. That's what I'm doing. He's getting ready for Kansas City. That's, that's what he's doing. <laughs> I think Bill Belichick's deserve. He deserves... To go out, like, you know, with his dignity. I get why the reporter's asking the question. I've been in that situation where you have to ask that question. He does probably doesn't even want to ask it. He knows what Belichick's going to say. But I think Bill Belichick's done enough to deserve to call his shot. I think it's a disservice if Robert Kraft really is going to flush him. And Robert Kraft has tipped that off by telling people, and those reports have gone public because of Robert Kraft. I think it's a real disservice from Robert Kraft. Kim Newton says that Brock Purdy and Tua, Goff, and Dak Prescott are all game managers. Kimberly Martin, ESPN, did not like the Cam Newton has said, those guys are game managers. Punch it. Brock Purdy, Tua Tonga-Valoa. Jared Goff, and really, Dak Prescott. Hmm. These are game managers. They're they're not difference makers. When you say game manager, I'm not asking you to go out and win the game. I'm just asking you not to lose. Not to lose the game, exactly. That's, listen, I don't give a damn what you do. You don't have to score every time. You just don't have to throw a pick every time either. If we're gonna really call a spade a spade, there's a difference between Managers of the game and difference makers of a game. Like, give me a break. I'm just so, like, honestly, like, we'll pass the outfit for a second. Um, <laughs> he literally said in the year of 2023, where it's all about NFL backups, where is Cam? Not on an NFL roster, right? So he's talking about all these NFL game managers. He sounds like the people literally tweeting at me from their basement, like, get back in the kitchen. Like, it's like you are at home watching me. Like, like just just, just turn the TV off. Probably like, in the kitchen. <laughs> like, it, it just sounds so foolish. 
I don't. Yeah, look, I disagree with Kim Martin on this. You know, I it's, I it's I don't. I actually think Cam Newton's entitled to his opinion, but I also would would push back against him, and I would say, what's wrong with a game manager being the best player in the game? And get when was it, since when like Joe Montana to some respect was a system guy. Well, why is you a could, game, why is a game manager know? like a bad word? Like we use it as a terrible word. Michael Penix Jr. in his system is managing the game. He's making plays, but he's managing the game. Brock Purdy is making plays. Dak Prescott's making plays. Jared Goff's making plays. Tua's making plays. Are they managers within their system? Absolutely. Is the instruction from Mike McDaniel on game day to Tua Tagovailoa is is he telling him, "Hey, um, just go out and don't throw an interception every play"? No, he's not telling him that. He's Tell them to make plays. They're playing within the system. And if Cam Newton were being honest, he was a guy that probably needed a system that better suited him when he was a player. And I think you could argue that the Panthers at some point were playing a system that was suited to Cam, but I think he kind of forced them into it with his incredible skill set. He was a great player. But let's not mistake... Let's not go and say, like, these guys don't deserve to be in the MVP conversation. Like, because what? Like, Joe Montana, was he a game manager? Tom Brady, was he a game manager? He was in a system. You got to make plays. And Purdy's completion percentage and statistics on plays of 20 yards or more is mind-blowing to me. His accuracy and completion percentage, yardage, I mean, it's... It's impressive. Brandon Marshall doubling down on what Cam said. Punch it. Well, when it comes to Purdy, first of all, I'm a Brock Purdy fan, but I'm rolling my eyes too, you know, if I'm being honest with you. I'm not saying that. Obviously, he's playing great. The thing is, when you talk about most valuable player, right, the most valuable player to that team, and it's tough because when I look at the San Francisco 49ers, I look at them as almost like a plug-and-play situation at the quarterback position now obviously Purdy still has to make the throws he still has to you know fit the ball in tight windows and make certain decisions right but at the end of the day I don't think Brock Purdy uh is should be the MVP front runner you know I'm looking more at at, at like a Dak Prescott you know Lamar Jackson you know if, if, if you take those guys away from that team you know they probably won't make the playoffs you know if if you take Brock Purdy away from the team and put Jimmy Garoppolo back in, maybe even Sam Darnold, right? I'm not saying they're going to be 10-3, but they may be, you know, 8-5. and five. And that could be the difference between being an MVP and not. Somebody's got to deliver the ball. Somebody's got to play the position. Niners have won games without George Kittle. They've won games without Debo Samuel. They have won games where, you know, they don't have Bosa on the defensive front. When you take away Brock Purdy, you make it really hard for the 49ers to win. And I would argue the games earlier this year where he was in, you know, he had a concussion and then was obviously affected by that concussion in a subsequent week, he wasn't right. And they weren't right as a team. I think you got to give credit where it's due. And Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, both getting it done. Oregon State facing transition. Under a new head coach, Trent Bray is the coach. Nick Daschle covers the team. He's next. So I was reading this story. 
about this guy who won the lottery, all right? And uh, he had anonymously called in to uh, that Dave Ramsey radio talk show. You know, Dave Ramsey does that talk show about um, it's a financial-based show. And and he was telling the host of the show that he won $22 million and hadn't told anybody. He He told his wife. And that was it. And they were they hadn't even told their own children or any extended family members. And he was asked, like, why didn't you tell anybody? And he said, well, I don't want my kids, they're teenagers, to grow up and be waiters. And and Dave Ramsey was like, what do you mean waiters? And he's like, you know, waiting around for us to die. <laughs> you know, um, would you tell anybody, Stephen, would you be tempted to not tell anyone if you won twenty two million dollars? In the lottery. I mean, I think, no, I would be, t- I'd have to tell people, I, especially my wife. She, I mean, she's my best friend. I'd want to tell her. I want to share with her. Yeah, but you tell her, but would you be tempted to get with her and be like, hey, let's not tell our kids. Let's not tell anybody else. You I know, think like, my kids, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be tempted. I'd be tempted. I don't know that I could do it, though. Do they need to know? Because you'd be like, damn it. <laughs> like, I want to go, go you know, I want to go buy something. Like, hey, dad, where'd you get this money from? Well. Well, the guy used the guy used the cover. He he had an uncle, his uncle Bob, who passed away like a month after he won the lottery, and so he was able to tell people who were like, "Why did he bought his mother a new roof?" And his mom was like, "How did you afford that?" And he said, "Well, Uncle Bob left us some money, and you know he would have wanted us to do this, and Uncle Bob would have wanted us to go on a vacation, <laughs> and Uncle Bob would." So they were using that as the cover. I would be awfully tempted to not publicize it, but some states require you when you win the lottery to go public and use your name and do all that, and others do not. Uh, be interesting. Think about that. Our next guest, Nick Daschle, covers Oregon State. You can read him on Oregon Live. If you won the lottery, Nick Daschle, would you be tempted to keep it a secret? I wouldn't need to. I already have that kind of money. I, I do this job for the love of, of reporting. <laughs> for the love of the game. <laughs> You're in it for the love of the game. Hey, you uh, you do find yourself in transition right now with this coaching staff. Jonathan Smith out the door. Trent Bray in. How has it been? How has it been to cover this transition and changing of the guard? Well, I really haven't had a lot of, I haven't had a lot of, uh, I guess, phone or FaceTime with, with the new staff because they've, they've been, you know, they're drinking out of a fire hose. I'm kind of drinking out of a fire hose trying to stay up on top of, you know, who's transferring, who's leaving, who's coming in, who's the recruits, you know, the, everything, the, the schedule, the, I mean, it's, I mean, this is more than just a coaching uh, transition for most places because, there's more news to this story than just just your garden variety coaching change. There's so much stuff going on with Oregon State right now that um, I really haven't had a lot of chance to. But next week, uh, next week will be uh, probably the first opportunity to kind of dig in because they'll be practicing next week. They're they're off this week with with finals week, so uh, hopefully next week you know there'll be some opportunity, but. I mean, I, I assume Trent is just, I mean, he's, I, I don't know if he's getting any sleep at all because there's so many things he's got to deal with right now to get the program 
you know, to where he wants it to be. What do you think's top of mind for him right now, coming through the doors? Aiden Childs, DJ gone in the portal. Um, he's got to assemble a staff. He's got to he's got to manage the portal himself and try to get some players in. You know, when when I mention all those things, plus everything else I didn't mention, like you know, where is his primary focus? Well, I, his staff is pretty much put together. There's a couple of guys that are still out there, but I think the primary thing right now is trying to salvage this recruiting class because next week, next Wednesday is signing day, and um, you know they're down. It was a class of 15 and growing before Smith left, and now it's a, a class of, like, six and shrinking. And so I don't know, you know, how many they're going to end up with on signing day. So they have to decide, you know, how many recruits can we – high school guys can we get in here versus is it better just to hit the transfer portal hard and and then spend the next year, you know, rebuilding our high school uh, recruiting situation. So – yeah, it's all about the roster right now, I think, for Trent because because of the of the um, signing day deadline coming up in a week. Give me an idea of you know the most surprising portal loss in your mind. Uh, who was that? Yeah, you know it's not the it's not the numbers. You know, I, I know people have said, "Well, we're just only lost seven guys," but they're all just giant figures on this roster it's like every one of them was a huge player on the team this last year i guess uh i mean childs obviously he's i mean he's such he's such a we we don't know exactly how good he could be but there's pretty good indication he's going to be a good quarterback so that's probably the biggest loss but i would say if you get past childs i'm going to say maybe Jack Velling because he's a, he's the one guy on their roster that had some size and could you know catch balls in big situations and score touchdowns and you know, they don't have that guy on the roster right now so I would say maybe Jack Velling once you get past Aiden Childs of the of the guys that put their name in the transfer portal. You know Trent Bray coming in, the hope was that he would hold the defensive guys. Did. Did that work, or was that asking too much? Um, yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, I, 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 the first people I thought might leave, regardless who took over, were, were the Arnolds because they have one year left. They got a lot. Of, they got a lot on the resume. I mean, it's it's they're, they're just they're just made to cash in somewhere. I. That one I could. That one I, I I thought was a real possibility of leaving. Uh, Jermon McCoy leaving the cornerback. Obviously, he's he's got a ton of offers. So he, he he's he, you know he he I'm sure he was getting some some information through whoever before the signing before the portal opened up that that he could he could you know go somewhere pretty significant. Um, other than that, I don't know that he's losing a ton on defense. The problem is he's losing a ton of seniors off this defense. So um, they've got some young guys that I think that, that I think they really like, but it, it's going to be difficult to rebuild the defensive line based on on who they're losing. So they're going to have to hit the portal pretty hard um, to even 
even cut close to what they have up front this this season because they're going to lose both both you know the top edge guys and and two or three of the two or three defensive linemen they counted on a lot and right now the only guy they have coming in so far is is Nick Norris the, the guy with a a year two years of eligibility left from Northern Colorado I mean he's he's he came from the same place Joe Golden came from and and Joe's turned out to be a good player so. No reason to think that Nick Norris can be, but but they definitely need to hit that one hard. They've, and they've got some young guys up there, but what they don't have is a lot of experience on that line, so they'll have to find a way to replace some of that. Nick Daschle with us. He covers Oregon State. You can read him on Oregon Live. Uh, Daschle, uh, you know, we've talked about the schedule. We kind of know loosely who's going to be on this schedule. It'll include Oregon and Purdue and Idaho State, some Mountain West opponents. Cal probably in there, Washington State in there. Is that schedule enough to sell to recruits? Are you getting any pushback or feedback from players about, you know, the schedule and what Oregon State's selling internally? Well, we know they're going to have seven home games. And I I think there's, what, one, two, three, what, four power five teams on the the schedule, if I remember right. Well, if you count Washington State. Um, in a typical year, they'd have what eight, nine. Well, they always have the Pac-12 schedule. So, but I mean, could you make a case that some of the bottom end of the Pac-12 really wasn't any much better than the Mountain West? I mean, if you play if you play the best of the Mountain West, which they're going to, um, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure of that. I, I think you got I think you got maybe just a hair less than what you've had before. You don't have a USC or a you know, a team like that coming in. But I think the schedule is pretty good for, for the first year coming back. And if you can sell recruits that, you know, you're going to get some, some good TV dates and that remains to be seen, if that's something you could sell, I think, I think you could do okay. I mean, we're not kidding. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This is not, this is not going to be the Oregon state schedule of, of the last few years. It's just, it's just not, but it's, but it's for putting it together you know, on the fly here in a couple of months, it feels like it's a pretty decent schedule. Whether that's good enough for the recruits, I guess we'll find out in the next two months because there's another signing day coming up, and there'll be some guys that they'll be able to get in the next signing day too, so we'll see how how they can sell those guys. Nick Daschle with us covering Oregon State. Uh, The bowl game, uh, it'll be Notre Dame. Ben Goldbrinson, is he the starter? Do you – and if so, how are you feeling about Oregon State as a bowl candidate in this game against Notre Dame? Well, I don't think there's any question he's a star. I mean, the other two guys, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure I've never taken a snap in a college game before. So, yeah, no, Ben's definitely the starter, and and I think you know that's not a bad that's not a bad um, it's not a bad situation. I mean, it's hard to believe he's he's lost anything. I've you know, maybe a little bit of his confidence, but I think he'll be able to he'll be able to resurrect that just based on the fact that you know I'm back and I'm and I got a shot to you know make something of this season and you know, I've ta- I ta- I spent fifteen or twenty minutes with him a few several weeks ago and talked about talked to him about how he's you know dealt with all of this and he seems to have dealt with it pretty well and um, <laughs> the dude is smart man. I mean, I kind of think he might have been playing the long game, looking at these quarterbacks ahead of him, going, 
this guy could leave, this guy could leave, and I'm right back in the starting job again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of thinking he might have been thinking that in the back of his mind. So um, now whether he sticks around after this year, I don't know. But I, 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 guess I think he probably will if he, if he decides to stay with football. But I think he'd be okay. I mean, it's just a matter of he's just not going to have – He's not going to have the weapons that they've had all season. So that's going to be the bigger issue. They're not going to have their right tackle, probably not going to have their left tackle, not going to have Damian Martinez, not going to have Anthony Gould, not going to have Jack Velling. So, although Notre Dame's going to miss some guys on defense, but he's not going to have the weapons that, that DJ had and Aiden had. So that, that's going to be a bit of that's going to, that's probably a bigger issue for Ben Gulbertson than, than you know him whether he's able to play quarterback or not. Damian Martinez will not play in the bowl game, was uh, uh, arrested and cited for a DUI, um, and there's been a lot of questions about him, Nick. Do you expect he will stick around? Do you have any insight on Damian's future? I I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know any more than, than most people in terms of whether he, you know, by all accounts, he is he's committed to Corvallis now. I mean, there's several there's several things that could come up. I mean, just because he's not in the portal right now, he could go through spring ball and, and go. Well, let me see what we got here. Let's see what the running back coach is like. Let's see what how Gundy is as a, as a coordinator. Let's see how Trent runs the program. And if he likes what he sees, he, he he'll stick around. But I mean, there's that that window right after spring ball that, that he can jump in the portal and. I mean, you know that he'd have, he'd have people coming after him. So I I think it's a pretty good chance he's sticking around. He likes Corvallis. He, he he definitely didn't like the way Smith left, and so that seems to stick with him a little bit about wanting to be here in Corvallis. So I'm going to say he's going to be he's going to be in the program next next fall. But it's not going to surprise me greatly if if he was to leave. But I think he'll, he'll I think he'll be here. All right, we got a caller who's got a question about Oregon State. Michael and Eugene wants to ask about something about the portal. Michael, you're on with Nick Daschle. Go ahead, fire away. You got us both. John, you're the best. Nick, I'm a duck. I love the beeves, though. Isn't the transfer portal such a bummer, though, because Damian recommits, Smith leaves. What about Ty Thompson? Two head coaches, three coordinators. Now he's gone. We're renting Dylan Gabriel for the year. I don't like it. I don't think he knows where Rennie's is. And if you don't know where Rennie's is, you're not a duck. Ty Thompson knows how to find Rennie's, which is the bar next to the bookstore. I'd like your thoughts, gentlemen, and uh, have a great holiday season. Yeah, I think the game has changed. Nick, go first. Go ahead. Transfer portal reaction. Yeah, I mean – I don't think fans like it at all, but it's just the way it's. You, you just have to get over it. It's 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 going to happen every year. It's gonna. It's even gonna. It's gonna be even more so with this new with this NCA. Uh, I don't want, know if you want to call it ruling or not, where you know multiple, you know, a multi, where where you can transfer a, a second time without any penalty. Um, so that that's going to cause even more trouble for for roster management and whatnot but i think he's gonna get used to it it's here to stay it's not going to go anywhere 
the only reason it wouldn't the only reason it might slow down is if there's some some way they are they put guardrails on NIL and I don't know that's ever going to happen but but if they're able to put some some guardrails on that to where the the money isn't just isn't just dropped on some of these guys by the by the millions that's the only way I could ever see this slowing down yeah and I think too that you know part of it Dashiell thank you man I got to get to break but I I think part of it is rooted as well in how it just went from you're not able to go anywhere to it can be completely off the rails. And by the way, let's sprinkle NIL over the top of it so then it becomes unrestricted free agency. I think if it had been more gradual with um, you know one little window of transfer and then an expanded window of transfer and then, hey, here's a tweak that's good for the game and it's good for the players and benefits everybody, I think it would be in a more acceptable place. But instead, the wheels came off. And then all of a sudden it was like, it's transfer palooza, and there's 1,200 players in the portal. It and so I do think there'll be a correction, and I do think that college football will regulate it and get it down to a place where, hey, wait a minute, maybe the window shouldn't start before the bowl games, or maybe the window should only be in the spring, or maybe. And I understand why it the window starts where it is. You know, they're trying to get players enrolled for January, but maybe it needs to not be a 30-day window. Maybe it's only a week. And maybe it happens, you know, um, you know, December 15th, it opens. Maybe it should be opening, you know, two days from now instead of right after the championship games. I don't know the answer to that. But I, I think part of the problem was just how the wheels came off. And it became transfer palooza and everybody's going. And now it's, it's frankly changed the way that teams recruit quarterbacks. Oregon is going to have a transfer quarterback that's just as experienced as Bo Nix was when he arrived. And it's it's mind-blowing to me to think that Oregon may never have another quarterback in its history that it recruits as a freshman and develops. And this just may be how it is. And there's something about that that doesn't quite feel right to me. It's just like the Niners going out and getting a new quarterback every year via free agency. And, you know, every, you know, some years it'll be great. Some years it'll be underwhelming. But there's just no continuity to it. There's no development to it. It's something about it doesn't feel right. Take more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. We'll go to the phone lines. Cam's in Eugene. He's listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Cam, what's, your, what's on your mind, man? Hey, I was looking in the news earlier about how the attorney general from Florida had sent notice of a uh, investigation to the CFP. And it really kind of stuck something stuck in my mind about that. And it wasn't the thing on the surface that the Florida attorney general was going after the CFP. Right. If she's going to subpoena them, she's going to have the right to get documents and communications. And of course the rumors or the, the concern is that ESPN may have in some way put its hand on the scales and it's going to be really interesting to see if they come away with any evidence of that as a result of the subpoena they intend to send because if they do then it changes completely it doesn't become about florida and the cfp anymore now it becomes about florida state and espn and their media rights deal and they could approach a court and potentially have the whole thing thrown out if it turns out espn was going into business for the sec and not their other media partner, you know, the ACC. 
Um, and I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that, and I wouldn't expect to hear a lot about it on ESPN. But it yeah. just struck me I'm gonna as really play interesting. Can I play something for you? Play, I'm gonna. This is Kirk Herbstreit. Yeah, I'm gonna leave your mic o- your uh, line open. But it's just if you follow the criteria of what they have, then that's what you come up with. And if we want to eliminate and change that for next year, I know there's 12 teams. That would be great. The great news is there's 12 teams next year. We'll be arguing about 11, 12, 13, and 14 next year. There'll still be people pissed off. It's just kind of the, the way the sport is. But the, the notion that ESPN or you or me or anybody is out to get Florida State, it's low-hanging fruit that people want to try to get clicks and people want to get likes. They want to get views. No, but they they're, also want to drum up. Yeah, like, they want to drum up stuff is. that's not real. But that's coming from the ESPN. I actually do want to see what was said. And if it justifies that the committee was just in good faith in a bad position where they had to pick four teams and there were five deserving teams, so be it. But let's find it out. I'm not taking Pat McAfee and Kurt Herbstreit's word for it. What I don't understand, John, is that previously before this year, I think a lot of us understood that the injury thing applied to like teams, which means that you would use that for, for seeding among undefeateds for Florida State. But here we're using it now to compare them against like teams, maybe as conference champions, but certainly not as undefeated. And, and about the 12-team playoff, that's, uh, I was an eight-team guy. I really think all you're seeing there is the SEC saying and the Big Ten saying, okay, we'll do 12 teams. We'll let everybody play, but uh, we get a bye game. We get a bye week, and you guys have to play an extra week if we let you in. That, that's yeah. all I see. I think there's a lot of SEC propaganda out there. And, you know, you could argue that the SEC fan base is rabid and unhinged and highly motivated, and I don't think the SEC fans would have allowed what happened to the Pac-12 to happen to the SEC. They certainly would not have been okay with the game's on the Pac-12 network where they couldn't find them. Uh, you know, I had somebody tell me they would have thrown a Molotov cocktail through the window of DirecTV to get their games on. And you can certainly argue that that, that that fan base and that brand of the SEC, and it just means more, is powerful. But what you can't debate, what is indisputable, is that the glow of the ESPN shoulder programming All of the propaganda, the extra shows, McAfee, all the uh, debate shows that you see all day long on ESPN, including the college football playoff ranking show, is a lot of propaganda, and it's very powerful. And so even if it turns out that the selection committee did what it thought was the right thing and with good faith and all that, I still wonder how ESPN factored in shaping the narrative for the four teams that ended up in the playoff. I I will always wonder that. It's too much power. It's too much influence. It shouldn't be an ESPN product. The 5 at 5 is coming up. Leave it here. Every day Anna comes into the studio, and the most delightful part of it is when Anna goes to put her headset on and... She realizes, like, the cord for her headset is around her leg or it's around the leg of her chair. And now, and I get to watch her contort herself as she uh, gets ready for the 5 at 5. We've got some breaking news in the 5 at 5. I also have a question that I want to bounce off you, Anna. Are you ready for my question? Always. I will give you my question at the end of your 5 at 5. How about that? Still at the beginning. Okay. 
Steven? That's, like a, that's like a bonus sixth right there. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like five and then one more. Yeah. The five at five. Let's do it. The five at five. Number one. What do you got? Breaking news. Breaking news, according to Woj, the NBA is suspending Draymond Green indefinitely. This is after he swung at and struck Yusuf Nurkic in the face during Tuesday's game. So Draymond Green indefinitely suspended by the NBA. It's been multiple infractions by him this season. Yusuf Nurkic saying that uh, Draymond needs help. What's going on with him? I don't know. Personally, I feel like that brother needs help. You know, I'm glad he not trying to choke me, but at the same time, it nothing to do with basketball, man. Like I'm just out there trying to play basketball. You know, they're swinging. I think we saw that often, but um, hope he, you know, whatever he got in his life, get better. Hope whatever's going on in his life gets better. Draymond Green did not help himself with his apology. Uh, He was pulling my hip, and I was swinging away to sell the car, made contact with him. Um, As you know, I'm not one to apologize for things I meant to do, but I do apologize to you, sir, Um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Uh, I sell cars with my arms. I don't fall to sell a car. I'm not a flopper. So I was just selling the car because he was grabbing me and pulling my hip back. So I spun away, and unfortunately, I hit him. And so, like I said, I apologize to you, Seth, um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Didn't intend to hit him. NBA apparently doesn't believe it. Suspending Draymond Green indefinitely. Keep in mind, he's already choked uh, Rudy Gobert earlier this season. Uh, Draymond Green's talent waning, his temper not and you know what here's another thing i feel like we all have bad moments and i think your emotional maturity can easily be measured when you're having a really frustrating bad moment think about it you hit your head on the cabinet you know you step on a lego in the living room floor you know you're raw you haven't slept well maybe you're not feeling well and you know you get a telemarketer call or somebody gives you bad news and all of a sudden Your emotional maturity is tested. Draymond Green gets these tests and fails them. It's weak, weak, weak how he handles this stuff. I mean, he obviously is swinging at Yusuf Nurkic and later tries to say he's trying to sell a call. Like, Anna, you you heard that clip, and you kind of rolled your eyes at it. I feel like it was like hearing our kids (laughs) say, well, you know, I hit my sibling. But I didn't mean to. Didn't mean to do it. And it's like, okay, but you did enough to create that situation. It's not really enough to say I didn't mean to. He's getting a timeout in our household, and he has to go get the ice pack and hand it to his sibling and say you're sorry. (laughs) And you're not going to do that. Go to your room. (laughs) Number two. Real quick, good news for the Blazers. They own the Warriors' first-round pick this year. Oh, that's good. I guess. Well, if the Warriors are bad, then the Blazers get a better pick. Yeah. Yeah, you need Draymond to be out for the year. That's what. Yeah, indefinitely. indefinitely? All right. <laughs> Number two. That was like <laughs> I like how I like how the Blazer fan just comes out of left field Sorry. off the ropes. Yeah, no, that, that's Steve. all. That's all I'm thinking about right now. Like, oh, the Warriors. You know, it's top four protected. So you know, I'm yeah. thinking the Warriors get the fifth pick in the draft, and the Blazers get it. That's where my mind goes. 
All right, so you want the Warriors to finish in the lottery, but not in the top four. Right, yeah. All right, there you go. <laughs> There's a Blazer fan, ultimate hope. So good job, <laughs> good job, Nurk, taking one for the team and getting punched in yeah. the face. There you go. And a number two. Um, Super Bowl LXI, for anyone who doesn't know Roman numerals, two fingers pointing at me, Super Bowl 61 will be held at SoFi Stadium. Do you not know that L is 50? <laughs> and X is worth no. 10, that's 60, and then who, an I, that's 1. Who knows these things? 61. I don't. So Pull in, the audience. In 2027, Super Bowl is going 20, to SoFi. 27. You know how they award yes. the Super Bowls? The owners? You know how they do this? How? They vote on it. Yeah. And they scratch each other's backs, essentially. Like, a lot of times these bid things are laced with gifts mm-hmm. that the owners give to each other. Like, one year... The owner of the Jacksonville franchise promised all the other owners of the NFL teams that if Jacksonville got the Super Bowl, that the the Jacksonville would provide yachts for every <laughs> owner so they could have like a party on their own personal yacht. And uh, one of the South Florida Super Bowls in Miami, the owner of the Dolphins promised and gave the other owners. Jack Nicholas autographed gold-plated putters. This is like this is way worse than the Olympic bid process. A lot of times the nominees are teams that have recently invested in infrastructure in their stadiums. So think about this. You have all the owners, rich owners of these NFL teams in a room and you know like you have Mark Davis with the Raiders going, "Hey, Las Vegas did a good did a square by helping us build this stadium, and here's some incentives in Vegas. And then the owners all go, yeah, let's go. Let's reward Vegas. You know why? Because they want their city, when the time comes, to expand the stadium and invest public money in the stadiums, they want their city to go, oh, we can get a Super Bowl. But the truth is, it's back-scratching, it's wow. gifts. It's That's like major rich people games. A lot of, yeah, a rich lot of squid games. games for rich people. So That's what it is. for anyone that... Carries or is trying to keep track. So Las Vegas will host this year. New Orleans will follow in 2025. It'll be at Levi Stadium in 2026. And then it will be at SoFi Stadium again, second time in five years. Number three. Number three. What should we talk about? Let's go to Bill Belichick. Um... He's shutting down the questions about uh, whether he's going to be in the Patriots' future. He did a very Belichick thing today, and as he was asked about it, continued to repeat, getting ready for Kansas City, that's what I'm doing, just over and over again during the press conference. That's right. As a way that only Bill Belichick can. Here it is. Here's the exchange with the reporters. Bill, I wanted to ask a question. Speaking obviously for yourself and, and your understanding, do you have an understanding that Robert will not ask you to be back next year? Yeah, get ready for Kansas City. That's what I'm doing. Get ready for Kansas City. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> what do you think he's going to say? <laughs> the, the question is do you expect to be back next year? And the answer is probably not. Number four. By the way, how many NFL teams are going to line up? If Bill Belichick's out there and still wants to coach, yeah, can you imagine the Chargers, 
with Bill Belichick as their coach. Like some franchise that badly needs that guy to prove that they're serious about winning is going to hire that guy in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Patriots are going to do. Remember, they had to give up draft picks to get him from the New York Jets. I think the Patriots are going to try to trade Belichick and let him go somewhere else in exchange for like a third-round draft pick. You Keep an eye on that. Robert Kraft, not one to forget that he's owed a draft pick for that coach. Hmm. Number four, go ahead. Uh, Shohei Otani's contract is kind of interesting. Like, if you read the fine print. So the headlines were the amount, which was like this historic deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. But it also allows him to opt out if owner Mark Walter or the president of baseball operations, Andrew Friedman, are no longer involved with the team. So they're kind of tied to each other with this little uh, portion of the contract. Decide for yourself if this is good or bad, but it's interesting to me because we have seen owners forced out in prior regimes for doing things, right? And we've seen general managers, of course, come and go when things don't go well. But Mark Walter, who is the majority owner of the Dodgers, is now tied with Shohei Otani. And so I can't see a circumstance in which the other owners of the Dodgers would go, hey, we want to take um, command of the Dodgers because, you know, we like to take control away from Mark Walter. Or if Andrew Friedman, the general manager, is fired and no longer involved with the team, Otani can say, I'm out of here. The guy who signed me is no longer here. I'm opting out. Now, I'm not saying that would happen, but it's a really unusual arrangement that ties Friedman and Walter to Otani. And, you know, I guess Neil Olshay's probably looking and thinking, why didn't I think of that when I extended Damian Lillard? Number five. This is the sort of thing that uh, makes me really glad I'm not famous. Simone Biles is having to reassure everyone that she's not pregnant. (laughs) She posted a photo of herself at the Packers versus Giants game on Monday. You may recall. Her husband is Green Bay safety, Jonathan Owens. So she's at the game. She posts a cute picture of herself in what appears to be like kind of sweats and a camo jacket. And people who follow her on Instagram uh, were thinking that that picture indicated that she was pregnant. She's saying no, she's not pregnant. She should just, she doesn't need to answer that, does she? Well, apparently, she said, I hate that I even have to address this, but please stop commenting on this photo or my Instagram in general about me (laughs) being pregnant. I'm not pregnant. My favorite Simone Biles (laughs) story in, you know, the last uh, five or six years. Remember when she went on Dancing with the Stars? Yeah, that's not a fair fight. Okay, but she goes on Dancing with the Stars, and the judges were like, Oh, Simone, you're not smiling, right? (laughs) Trying to make her into like, you know, you're not smiling. They would never say that to a male athlete who was a competitor, Hmm. you know. But they say you're not smiling. And, you know, they all the judges gave her the comment. And then she says, smiling doesn't win you a gold medal. (laughs) I love that about her. It's great. You know? And by the way, if they do have a kid, how athletic is that kid going to be? Yeah. NFL player. Good genes. And... Elite, world-class gymnast? Come on. 
That's Imagine, like, though, like having to be a woman and explain to people that you're not pregnant. Like, no, I just ate a big dinner. Thanks. That's the worst thing you can say to a woman. Right? If there, it, we, we just discussed this yesterday. I need to see water break before I would say, <laughs> are you pregnant? You know what I mean? Yeah. I need a woman in the middle of Walgreens to be like, my water just broke. Oh, are you pregnant? I wouldn't even buy that because maybe like a bottle broke in the cart right. or something. Like I didn't know. I have to like see them holding the baby. <laughs> well, at which point they're not pregnant anymore, Stephen. That, well, that's are, true. Then I know for sure. I thought you were pregnant. <laughs> Apparently you're not. Like I would be horrified if I posted a photo and commenters on the photo were like, Looks like you've got a bun in the oven. <laughs> Congratulations. I do? Congratulations. I would love it's to. It's just gas. Thanks. I would love to hear from our listeners. Have you ever put your foot in your mouth in that kind of way? Oh. The worst way you've ever stepped in it. 503-417-7575. I mentioned it on the show uh, yesterday that I went up to a dad at a stadium it's baseball stadium. It was the first game that was being played at the stadium. It was just being opened. I was dispatched there in my career to go write a story about the opening night at the opening stadium. And, you know, I arrive for batting practice. And, you know, I'm often looking for a different angle. And I see, you know, the guy who looks like Leslie Nielsen with white hair. And he's holding the baby. And I just walk up to him for no reason <laughs> No sensical like, reason at all. This was not even a conversation that needed. I to didn't take need place. to have this conversation. Right. Yeah. I was. This was a bonus yeah. footage, Super. right? You know, uh, oh, brand new baby, it's her first game. He was obviously a girl. She was dressed in pink, and you know, yeah. first game. You know, first game game for your granddaughter. And as the word granddaughter is coming out of my mouth, I'm going, oh no! <laughs> and his face just contorted, and. You you knew he was like he was in store for a life of this as an older dad. Mm -hmm. And I'm an older dad. And mm -hmm. so I get it. Like he you knew he was in line for this. And he'd probably been one of these people who had white hair since he was like thirty eight. You know, and he's just like, I just can't wait till I have children. And <laughs> but his face contorted and he says, It's my daughter. And he walks away oh, with his storms off with his baby. I'd love to hear your story about how you stepped in it. Five oh three 417-7575. While we wait for the callers, Anna, I mentioned earlier in the show, I was listening to this Dave Ramsey guy. Yeah. He's like a financial guru. Yeah. And he was talking. He took a call from a caller who said that he won the lottery. Okay. Okay. He won $22 million after taxes. Okay. He told his wife, teenage children, they did not tell their parents. They did not tell extended relatives. They didn't tell anybody else. Wow. They live in the same house. They had just bought new cars, so there was no like yeah. extravagant purchase. Yeah. Um, and and then he a month later he had his uncle die, and Uncle Bob had left them some little bit of money too. Okay. And so they did go and buy their mother a new roof, and the mom said, "How did you afford that?" And they said, "Well, Uncle Bob." Um, and he, the guy was debating, not ever telling anybody. Hmm. And just saying, nobody's business. Mm -hmm. Is it anybody's business? It's nobody's business. But that's brilliant. If, I mean, I I don't know that I would have the restraint to tell anybody, you know. Uh, but credit to him and his wife for having that restraint. Because you hear all the time, like, there are epic stories about how winning the lottery has just ruined people's One lottery winners. 
ends up broke. Yeah. One in five. It's even not more than that. And and in part, it's because everybody's got their hand out. Yeah. Or people have never had any kind of money at all before, don't really understand how to invest it, or Mm -hmm. don't understand how quickly it can disappear, or the taxes you need to pay, or Mm -hmm. whatnot. This guy was... You know, I listened to the whole call, and wow. he was Ramsey was asking him all kinds of good questions. Do, uh, do you own your home outright? Yes. Yeah. Do you own your cars? Yeah. You all right? Uh, you know, do you have a financial planner? Yeah, I have a whole team. I've hired a whole team of people to manage Wise. that twenty-two million. Yeah. Um, d- but not tell your children is is the he said he didn't want to tell his kids because he didn't want them to be waiters. Wait, and he, waiters waiting around for him oh, to die. Oh, yeah. You know, he wants them to go be doers. Uh huh. Not waiters. I mean, I, I kind of like that idea, too. But don't you think your kids at some point would want to, you know... Yeah, they'll some, find out. Some measure of... When you die, and then the trust uh, tells them, like, congratulations, you guys are all millionaires. Dad was driving a 98 Corolla all that time, <laughs> keeping a secret. Wouldn't you be mad, though, if you were the kids, though? You found out, like, your parents died, and then they're like, oh, they hid all this money from me? I mean, I feel like the parents would have to write a really uh, carefully worded letter. But is it the kids? Death. Does that money belong to the children until it belongs to the children? That's the question. Like, yeah. you know, mm. like what if your parents or my parents, Stephen's parents, yeah, were sitting on 22 mil? Yeah. Would you want to know it? And here's the other thing. The guy didn't quit his job. Wow. He was continuing really? to work. He said he liked his job. Did you catch what he did for a little I didn't. I didn't. That's, wow. I didn't. Yeah. All right. Wu is in Hillsboro, and Wu is going to tell us how he stepped oh, in it. Talk about stepping in, John. I was at a volleyball game playing, and i known this guy for like 12 years. I had never met a significant other. And during the match, in between matches, I said, hey, who's, uh, who's grandma's here to watch the game with the kids? And he said, uh, that's my wife, you a-hole. <laughs> It was awkward for for the rest of the season. I mean, I try to avoid contact with this dude the rest of the season. But, man, talk about stepping in it. There's a grandma. I bet you he didn't tell her that you said that on the bright side. No, no. It took me a while to talk to him again towards the end of the season, baby. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I love it. Oh, that was a tough one. Who knew he was playing with? George Bush as a teammate, you know, <laughs> you know, Barbara, Barbara or whatever her name was, Grandma Bush. Wow. That's wow. That's, <laughs> that's a there. good one. Mm-hmm. Here's another one yeah. that I know of. Mm-hmm. And I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. There's a uh, former wide receivers coach at Fresno State was a guy named Vince Weston. And he's black mm-hmm. and his wife was white. Mm-hmm. And Wesson was telling me one day that he uh, was really wanted to be there. It was one of his younger children was being born. Mm-hmm. He had not been there throughout the, you know, the prenatal appointments for his other children. And he told his wife, I really want to be there for this one. Yeah. I really want to be more involved. And so he was like busting over to the, to the uh, OBGYN's office after practice to, mm-hmm. to, you know, be there for an appointment. And when you're being there for an appointment, your wife's pregnant, you're really just ceremonial there. You're <laughs> sitting off to the side. You're watching another human being examine your wife in, you know, what looks to be in an inappropriate way. You know, it's just it's this whole oh weird, gosh. this weird dynamic existing in the room. And so Vince was heading over to the office, the doctor's office, 
and he was in a scramble yeah. to get to the office, uh-huh. and and he you know comes busting through the office doors. It's like three forty-five. He's right off the practice field, and he says to the receptionist, "My wife's here for her prenatal appointment. It's her final appointment. I want to make the appointment." And the lady says, "Room five. And Vince goes down the hallway to room five. There's a pause, and then there's a shriek from the room, a woman screaming. And then Vince comes back out, and he says, my wife is white, because they had sent him into the room where a black woman was there on a prenatal appointment. And I told that story. My mom was a mother-baby nurse when she was working as a nurse in the hospitals, and she said, I told her that story, and she goes, you never assume. Uh You never assume who dad is. You don't assume... You know, who ma, you know, who's the relative, who's your grandpa? You make no assumptions in that room whatsoever. I died laughing and and Vince told me like he said it was all funny. Yeah. Except for the African American woman who was in room 5 who was like, you know, some guy just comes through the door and she's in the stirrups. And she's like, "Why are you in my room?" You know, like I'm she's just trying to go in for an appointment and a a checkup. That's a bad situation. If you've stepped in it, I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. I want to know your cringeworthy story. Did you ever step in it? Uh, Scott Frost, former Oregon assistant coach, told a story about Marcus Mariota stepping in it one time. Do you remember this story? It was from the uh, Broyles Award Ceremony. As Scott Frost was picking up his award for the nation's top assistant coach, he told a story involving Marcus Mariota. It has a twist. Quick story about Marcus Mariota. You know, people ask me about him all the time, and he's such a great player, but his best attribute is how quick-witted he is. Um, People don't know this, but his freshman year, he he worked at a grocery store in town uh, to kind of pay the extra bills. And he was at the register one day, and this great big woman comes in, and she said, I'd like to buy a half a head of lettuce. And he kind of looked at her funny, said, we don't sell half heads, only whole heads. And she got all mad. And uh, so he walked into the back to ask the manager what he should do, and he said, hey, I got this, this great big fat woman out here that wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. What should I do? And he didn't know it, but the woman had followed him back there. So... <laughs> He looks over his shoulder and he sees her standing there and he said, and this lady wants to buy the other half. <laughs> so that's how quick witty it is. And, and the manager told him afterwards, the manager said, that, that was impressive. I can't believe you could think that quickly on your feet. And he goes, that was nothing. I'm used to dealing with stuff like that. He goes, I'm from Honolulu. If there's two things we have in Honolulu, it's great football and, and fat women. <laughs> and the manager said, my wife's from Honolulu. And he said, well, what position does she play? <laughs> Got to be quick on your feet. I want your calls. 503-417-7575. A college football coach in our state who was listening to the show sent me a text who is, as he was tuned in and listening to the stories being told, I want to share his cringeworthy moment. Uh, he said it was his first college job. And the football coaching staff was required to go to the president of the university's Christmas party. The coaches were in a greeting line saying hello to all the brass and the president and his wife were there. It was holiday cheer and decorations. I remember it being magnificent. Young coach on the staff greets the president's wife and says, happy holidays. When is your due date? 
The reaction was worse than you can imagine. <laughs> oh, man. 503-417-7575. Steven, you ever stepped in it yourself? <laughs> I've been racking my brain. I can't remember a time. Hopefully my wife's listening. She can text me if I have. But I really didn't. I don't think that I have. And I would have a lot of opportunities because I worked at Costco. Like, there's so many opportunities to do that, but I don't think that I have, John. What do you never do when you're working at Costco? Like, is there a rule of thumb when it comes to dealing with customers and the customer's always right? Or are you always trying to, like, not offend the customer? Or yeah, the, what do you do? At Costco, the customer is always right because they pay for the membership. So, like, they always, they kind of have the, you know, I have a Costco membership too, but, like, they have the elitist elitist attitude of, you know, we pay to come here, so you have to You're the us. owner. Yeah. I'm the owner. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, if you were going to Costco, you kind of got to be nice to them all the time. And the other rule is, well, I don't know, it's probably changed now, but you always have to look like you're hustling. Like, whether that's, <laughs> like... Like, people forget, well, they'll forget, like, an item in the back, and you have to go get it for them. Like, jog, or at least walk really fast to go get it. Is it really? that fake crosswalk hustle? Yeah. Like, I move my arms really fast. I'm really getting across a the crosswalk. A lot of shoulder. A lot of shoulder. Yeah, me. A, yeah, it's a lot of the shoulder, a lot of moving back and forth in the upper body, but the lower body still moves slow. But, yeah, you got to look like you're hustling. Ryan is in Vancouver. Ryan's got one. Go ahead, Ryan. Good evening. Yeah, years ago, we were doing a relay race. And we stopped at a local restaurant in Bellingham, and there was three tables, two each. And two of the three tables had their waters and menus brought to us. And just as I said, man, your waiter sucks to the third table that didn't have anything, not knowing that the waiter for that table was right over my left shoulder. (laughs) That guy sucks. What did he do? He just kind of looked at me and said, I'm glad you're glad I'm not your waiter. <laughs> you're right about that. I I had this happen one time with a client of the radio station. Mm. It was one of the advertisers. And it was um, it was a really awkward conversation because, you know, part of it is that, you know, the advertisers are advertising because they like the show. Yeah. And. Which, by extension of that, is you know they listen and they're going, hey, I believe in you, I like you, you're you know you align your values align with my values, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Well, this one advertiser was a diehard Notre Dame fan. Okay. Okay. Diehard Notre Dame fan, like rabid fighting Irish fan. Yeah. I had covered Notre Dame as a beat reporter. Okay. And so there was a natural talking point. Sure. As we were introduced on the showroom of his floor mm-hmm. and. Of his warehouse, and you know, he was very excited, and he was like, you know, I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan, and I don't know why. I assumed he had gone to Notre Dame. I don't know why, just because of how excited he was about right. Notre Dame. Right. And I made a comment about how when I covered Notre Dame, the most obnoxious thing was how everybody was a Notre Dame fan. It's so nice to meet someone who actually was is a Notre Dame fan, and went to Notre Dame. And there was an awkward pause, and he said, oh, I didn't go to Notre Dame. I've never been there. <laughs> and, and there was, like, two of his subordinate employees were standing right by him. And they both started to laugh but bit their lips because that must be some kind of hardship they give him. Like, you know, you're a Notre Dame fan, but you never went to Notre Dame, you jerk. And so... It was just such an, it was no recovery for me. No, there's no. I just had to say, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, you are exactly the Notre Dame fan I'm talking about. 
Well, and that's the thing. Like, I think the Christmas party scene has been brought up more than once. Like, think about all of the awkward conversations that happen at holiday parties. Like, those places are ripe for these kind of things to occur, you know? Just watch yourselves, people. Watch yourselves. Yeah, because you get to see a side of your coworkers you never saw before. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's just not... And it's not always it's not pretty or you're meeting their significant other uh-huh. and they have trashed this person to you. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, they've just oh, this is the yeah, this is my wife. And all that's going through my head is like, this is the person you're always complaining about. She looks so nice. She looks like which, a sh- which should be an inside yeah. thought. Yeah. But sometimes in those socially awkward situations, yeah. you wind up saying more than you should. You oh, just start, I know like, too much. You know, like, I don't know about you, but like, I've been in those things where I like, I just start to word vomit. And I'm like, wait, why am I saying these things? That's coming out of my mouth. It should, <laughs> should not, not be coming it should out. Not, it should just should stay in my head. So when in doubt, say less. I still will say text less. that Notre Dame guy and I'll be like, hey, you know, Notre Dame's looking good. <laughs> You know, <laughs> probably but, not a topic you want to bring it's, up anymore. Oh, I'm sure all he's going is, you know, I, oh, I guess I didn't really go to Notre Dame, so I'm not a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> Dan's in Happy Valley. Dan has stepped in it. and He wants to tell us about it. Dan, welcome. Uh, thanks, John. Um, I was at a, a Blazer sponsor preseason party once with a gentleman that I think you know by the name of Luke Morley. Yes. And uh, I was his guest. And uh, somehow, uh, Luke and I got face-to-face with Paul Allen and one of his bodyguards. And this bodyguard was a fascinating character. He looked like a California surfer, tan, squiggly, blonde hair. And his suit was really tight in the thighs and the biceps. I mean, he was a specimen. Anyway, I I was talking to Paul and just saying, you know, this was jailblazer here. And I said, you know, it's gotten so bad that... uh, I can't even give my blazer tickets away. And he was looking at me just glad said, what the heck are you going to do to dig yourself out of this hole? <laughs> and he just, he just looked at me and his glasses were crooked on his face and he was wearing a shirt. I swear that looked like he bundled it up the night before in a ball and put it under his mattress. Yeah. It was just a mess sticking out in the back. And he looked at me and, and uh, uh, he made some attempt at a comment and the bodyguard looked at him and he just grabbed him by the, the uh, shirt sleeve and said, time to go, Mr. Allen. <laughs> he got you out of there. Wow. That was probably, probably merciful. But uh, I met you once at KXL at, when you had Luke on the show and I brought you a box of sausage from good old Zenner's. Oh yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. And you, Thank went you. On and you said, Oh my dad, no matter what was on the grill, there was always some sausage. And oh, I yeah. thought that's awesome. But, uh, anyway, was I nice? Was I gracious? Well, you were very gracious and you brought All up right. the anecdote about your father, which was nice. Good. Uh, we always like to make dads happy. And, yep. uh, uh, anyway, my dad, uh, still to this day, admire, still to this day. Paul, but, but one time I met, ran to him at the Sphere, yeah. and he looked up at me, and he just, he was signing a book for me. He looked up, and his eyes just kind of narrowed. He remembered. He didn't, he didn't say anything. Well, you know, he may be the kind of guy that never forgets a face. Pretty yeah, sharp he, guy, but. He uh, may remember that. But, you know, in most cases, in most social interactions, if you have made someone feel uncomfortable, 
the graceful thing to do is to try to make that person feel okay about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, sure. right? Yeah. But I don't think Paul Allen, uh, you know, I don't think Paul Allen had many normal interactions. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if he had if he was equipped with the ability to make somebody else feel less awkward about something they said because he was so awkward. Yeah. He was a very awkward person. Well, it was like it was hard to even have like eye contact with him. You'd have yeah. press conferences with him and you'd be like hold I'd hold I'd be holding a microphone up to him asking him questions and he just had consistently like the thousand yard stare. Yeah. Like he wouldn't make eye contact with anyone who was in the group. I had uh, two one-on-one conversations with him when I was alone with him, yeah. with no bodyguard around, and they were both very awkward conversations. <laughs> like it was being, it was like being on a bad date. Uh-huh. It really was. Yeah. Like you know, you're trying to fill silence, and it was rough. Tom's in Lake Oswego. Tom, help us out here. Go ahead, Tom. Yes. You're on. Hi, John. This is Tom Newton. Hey, Tom. So uh, this happened several years ago. I was at my son's baseball game, grade schoolers, and one of the guys asked me to umpire. And I said, you know, I never played baseball. I don't really know the rules very good. He goes, no, you're fine. I'm in my suit and everything. So I go, okay. So I go out and I stand behind the catcher, and I'm really wanting to do a good job. And in comes this ball. It was high. And I said, ball one. And the little catcher turned around and looked at me and said, he swung. <laughs> and I said, well, it was a late swing. Anyway, the crowd went wild, and that was the end of my umpiring days. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Yeah, were you in, like, a suit, like you had been at work oh, yeah. suit? Oh, yeah. Suit and tie. Oh, was, yeah. This is like a 1930s umpire. <laughs> Yeah, I looked pretty official, but anyway. <laughs> you know what? If you ever want yeah. to get out of umpiring, you you know the way to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> kids kids swings, you go ball one. They go, get us a new umpire. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. I like how, a, how he's like, I don't know much about baseball. And they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. You can be the umpire. Go for it. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's all good. I was telling Anna, like, when I was a kid, so I umpired games. I was like 13, 14, 15, 16 umpiring all the time. Yeah, and when you're 13, they put you kid. on like they put you on like the T-ball game. Sure. By the time you're 15 or 16, you're calling like, you know, if you're good, you're calling the 10, 11, 12-year-olds, mm-hmm. okay? And I was good. I was good. I was I had command of the field. I knew I knew the rules, whatnot. and but the guy, my memory of umpiring is about the head of the little league. It was a guy named Bill McIntosh in my small town. What I remember about Bill McIntosh is I had to pick the umpiring gear up at his house on, like, Saturday mornings. So all the umpires, all these teenage kids would be at Bill McIntosh's house in the driveway. He had all the gear laid out. Okay. And Bill McIntosh is standing there in, like, tennis shoes, socks that are pulled up above his calves. He's got plaid <laughs> shorts on and a polo shirt tucked in. And he's chain-smoking cigarettes. <laughs> you know, and we're, like, 13, 14... It, you know, and we're side stream smoking all these cigarettes, and Bill McIntosh is out there talking about, hey, make sure you guys call it how you see it today, you know. <laughs> so when he, this guy's talking about umpiring, all I can think about and smell is the smell of a Marlboro. <laughs> side stream smoking a Marlboro while I'm trying to get out of this guy's driveway. He was a nice guy.
We made five bucks a game, by the way. Wow. That was, that was a lot. It was a big money in those days. Yeah, you were rolling in it. A lot. That was big money. You could buy a lot of now and laters. There, <laughs> there you go. Leave it here. Raymond Green suspended indefinitely by the NBA. NBA offering some clarity on that. Here's how it goes uh, per the NBA. His suspension will begin immediately, and he will be required to meet certain league and team conditions before he returns to play. Um, Steven, if you are the NBA, what are those conditions that you would want Draymond Green to have to meet? Like, what do we start with here? I don't know. That's It's tough to say because Draymond, every time he does one of these things, he says, oh, you know, I'm going to be better and yada, 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 and then he just does the same exact thing. So it's like, what can he actually say that makes it okay this time? And I don't know what that is. I don't know. I don't know what the NBA is going to be looking for. I mean... Maybe it's something as if, like, he just says to the NBA, look, if I, if this happens again, I'm suspended for such and such games. Like, the NBA has to put it out there. Like, look, if you if you have another incident like this where you're hitting someone below the belt or in the face, something like that, you're you're gone for, you know, a quarter of the season or 25 games, something like that. I don't know. I, I, I really This is a really tough one because the NBA has showed in the past how history matters in these type of situations. But Draymond is so important to one of the more popular teams. Do you really want him out for this long? I, I don't know, John. I really don't know what the NBA is going to do with this one. I think they have to set a tone with him because of the totality. It's kind of like the John Morant uh, suspension where they said, hey, indefinitely, and then they said, hey, you're going to have to meet and talk and apologize. You're going to have to make some changes to your life. Like, But, but what can he say that was going to make it different this time? I think they're going to have to come out and say, Draymond, you know, I, it has to. I mean, it's got to be a suspension that's punitive enough to get his attention. And so what's his love language? Like some guys, it's money. And I, I just don't know if that's it with Draymond because I think he's got enough of it. Other guys, it's actually being suspended. It's playing time. He's hurting his team. Maybe that's where they're going to hurt him because – you know, he, he is known as a good teammate and a guy, uh, you know, when he's not punching Jordan Poole, but a, a guy who wants to win and knows how to win. This is not a Warriors team that's good enough to win games with him not part of the team. And, you know, they're not the margin for the Warriors this season, given how Clay Thompson is playing, is not very big. And by the way, on that sequence where he does the 360 and he hits Yusuf Nurkic in the face. Everything that's wrong with the Warriors is evident in that sequence, right? Here's, you know, Steph Curry with the ball. Here's Draymond trying to post up. He's not, he, you know, he's not good enough to do it anymore, and he's trying to post up a player that's bigger than him and is and can move his feet. Yusuf Nurkic, for all his sins, is a problem for Draymond Green at this point of his career, at least offensively. And then the ball doesn't go to Draymond, because he does the 360 and he hits Nurkic in the face. The ball goes to Clay Thompson, who, by the way, even though there's a whistle called, shoots the basketball and hits the back iron and bricks it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. this, that's the Warriors' season. And, and Clay, you know, last night, the Warriors, they made a nice little comeback to make it a close game, but Clay got benched in the fourth quarter because he was playing so bad. And he, you know, he even agreed with the decision by Steve Kerr to, to bench him for being so bad. And that's kind of what it's been. You know the Warriors with Draymond Green and Steph Curry on the court. Usually that's where they dominate, and that and the starting five of Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney. It's like one of the worst lineup five man lineups in the NBA this season, point differential wise. So like 
that's the thing. If Draymond's not going to help the team on the court, you'll actually produce. Do you even want him back if you're the Warriors? Like, you have to send a message at this point because you're right. He's got to get a message sent to him. He got five games for choking out Gobert. I mean, I think you start you you got to start at fifteen and go from there. You can't you can't have guys punching people in the in, during the games. Like it was just so obvious and so blatant that he just did it to get you know to, on purpose. Like it wasn't. I don't know that he necessarily meant to punch him in the face, but he meant to swing his hand right by his face. Go to the phone lines. Josh is in Troutdale, Oregon. Josh, what's on your mind? You know, it's basically about the money. And I think we need to make an example out of him. I know he makes a lot of money, but what would be most embarrassing to Draymond is if he is the first one to make a significant cut in pay. And, you know, like if that's, you know, it's indefinite, if they make it significant enough, it may not hurt him financially, but it may embarrass him and hurt all of his other fellow players knowing that they can make it financially uh, ruining him. That's, yeah. It, it, look, I your phone's breaking up, but I get your point. Um you got to find what motivates Draymond if you're trying to correct or change behavior. Problem is that we kind of know who Draymond is. We know what he's about. And I don't know if there is a changing Draymond Green. And I don't know that Draymond would want to change. I mean, think about this. I mean, he's 34 years old, John. Think of all the stuff he's he's accomplished in his career. NBA championships, defensive player of the year, going to go to the Hall of Fame. Why would he want to change? Like, he plays with a chip on his shoulder for a reason, I get that fans don't like him, but you know what? That's kind of how these these NBA guys are built. Like they play a certain way, and they play with a certain edge. And Draymond is always going to have an edge on his shoulder. If he doesn't play that way, he's going to be even less effective than he is right now. So I don't know that there's really anything you can do or say to Draymond Green that's going to make him change the way he plays on the court. He plays one way. He's not going to change that because it's got him to where he is right now. Is does he play the right way? I Yusuf Nurkic comment about that's not basketball you know jumped out at me today when he you know that's that's not a basketball play what Draymond Green is doing there it's you know that was petty and the, you know, the I think flailing, everybody knew. yeah the flailing is is definitely not a basketball play but that's kind of what people do now and Draymond said like I don't flop to sell the call I don't fall on the ground well you yeah. flail in your arms is flopping like it's the same exact thing so Nurk's right in the fact that yeah. it's not a basketball play but that's kind of what NBA guys do and that's what all basketball players do is you're trying to sell a call I don't know what Draymond. I mean, he just—he's been doing this his whole career. I don't think it's going to stop. Nothing's going to stop him. Well, we had it at five o'clock. Anna used it as the number one story in the five at five. The Draymond Green suspension, NBA suspending him indefinitely. Adrian Wojnarowski had it uh, first, but you know it just broke right at five o'clock. And we talked about an indefinite suspension and what that would mean. But you know, I'll go back to like the the, the you know the motivating factor. You know, Bobby Knight would say playing time is the motivating factor. It was in college when he was coaching, right? Um, you know, other coaches will tell you now in today's game, you know, no, no, players are motivated by NIL uh, uh, upside and opportunity. Um, I'll also say this. While that play was happening, the Warriors coaches, Steve Kerr and his assistants, are on the bench. And if you get a chance to look at the video of that, of that play, as that play unfolds and Draymond Green hits Yusuf Nurkic in the face, 
Like, the Warriors coaches aren't jumping up to defend Draymond Green in that moment as the officials giving him, you know, a, a flagrant. And, you know, there's no jawing. There's no surprise on their face. They almost look like they're just over it. And I think Warriors fans are over it. We'll see what happens with Draymond Green after this indefinite suspension. What does Adam Silver mean by indefinite? I'm going to try that on my kids. You're suspended. You're grounded indefinitely. See how that goes over. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.